0: Welcome to The Republican Professor. This morning we have with us Dr. Paul Franks. Hello, good to be here. Yeah, good having you. Thanks for being on today.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, it's nice. It's, I've been uh, watching several of your, your previous interviews and stuff. I find them really interesting. So it was uh, good of you to ask me to join you. Yeah,
0: Looking yeah. Looking
1: forward to our time together.
0: Okay, so you were the one that was watching. Okay, <laughs> got it.
1: <laughs> watched a lot, so I really got the clicks up for you.
0: Oh, great. Great, yeah. <laughs> it, we, uh, we haven't had the money to buy the computers for the unique views. Oh, right, I, I don't right. know how else people get them. Like it's just so expensive <laughs> to get all those computers, and then yeah,
1: yeah, that's the next round of
0: funding, you'll be able yeah, to do that, right? It just takes a long time to go from different locations, yeah. you know, and just <laughs> plane tickets, the gas prices, like high too, yeah. you know. Yeah. Well, <laughs> uh, you're joining us from a different country, right? Than America, that's
1: true. I, I'm in uh, Toronto, Canada. Uh, okay, I've uh, I'm originally from Oklahoma, and um, oh. and then did my undergrad in Texas. And then you and I met out in California. Mm-hmm. But since 2008, uh, my wife and I and now our three boys uh, have lived here in, in Toronto. So, wow. Yeah, Do
0: you live it, in the city then proper or is it like no a suburb um,
1: area? Yeah, about maybe 45 minutes or so north of, of Toronto proper. So wow. um, the school that I teach at Tyndale University, it's in Toronto mm-hmm. uh, itself, but it's like right on the northern edge of it uh, of Toronto. Oh, wow. So
0: and Tyndale yeah. is that a is that a Muslim school or is that <laughs> we
1: we uh I've never heard this term before uh, before coming to, to to Tyndale but we consider ourselves trans denominational mm. and apparently there's a difference between that and interdenominational I, I don't using, know what were
0: they that... using the word trans uh more than 20 years ago
1: yeah, I think so. Uh, okay. in 2008, when I got there, I that think was I know the term what they that mean they by that. used. So, okay. uh, but right. uh, yeah, just so there's checking. no official, uh, hooks into any, uh, there's you know, partnerships with various denominations and things like that, but not, uh, official connections to the, to the institution, which is, uh, it's, it's kind of interesting because it, uh, allows a pretty wide, um, group of people to, to be there. Uh, you know, it's not just, everybody has one specific, uh, specific, uh, creed, uh, which is, you know, I think interesting and that it, it makes it, um, Easier for for people to um, actually say what they believe and and to have good conversations uh, whenever you don't you don't have the uh, watchdogs from some denomination scouring yeah. everything every professor says like you might get at other at some
0: some kinds of schools. Jeez. Yeah. So you're saying it's in Toronto. Yeah. So you you mean like there's tall buildings and you feel like you're in a city when you're there.
1: Yeah. Well. Uh, so not. I mean no nah, So, because Tyndale's on the northern edge of it um it's mm-hmm. it's starting to get into the more of the suburban type of a feel mm-hmm. uh and it's on a really big uh pastoral like campus you know it's just you know it's a i can't remember how many acres it is uh so there's lots of woods and stuff like that, so cool. where we're at it feels more uh, like a Oxford college type of type of oh, feel, um, that's cool. but it's, uh, but you know, we're the, the subway is yeah a mile from us and then you're, you know, in the heart of Toronto. So, um, it's oh. kind of that right in that little uh, border area between do you the, drive in
0: or do you yeah. take a train? In? Okay.
1: Yeah. Where I'm at, the transit the traffic, great, like? so
0: it's What's terrible. Oh, okay. Yeah, the
1: traffic's like, it, it's, um, I, I wouldn't say it's as bad as LA traffic. Um, <laughs> but it's not that, fun. That's not you very know, specific. yeah that's a pretty low bar
0: uh (laughs) like well purgatory um it's not quite like hell but yeah yeah (laughs) so no it's
1: it's you you avoid it when you can but uh it's what's the the weather like today uh mid 50s oh um yeah our uh, it this is green it's normally warmer by now but um any green yet yeah, we have some green. Nobody's mowing their lawns just yet, but it's, that's probably another couple of weeks away. Um, oh, so it's, not because a,
0: they're, it's not because they're lazy? No, there's no reason yet. Okay, Maybe it's not, not I was only because assuming, they're lazy. I was yeah. just assuming you're just saying Canadians are just a bunch of lazy <laughs> bastards. <laughs> I got it. Okay, no, so yeah. there's no grass. Okay. What about the birds? Yeah, What kind of birds do you got up there? You got nice bird songs? Uh, yet? spring time.
1: Yeah we have we have a little bird feeder in the back and we get some finches and cardinals and every once in a while a blue jay um oh, so cool. yeah kind of this b- basic north america uh n- northeastern parts Yeah, you, of, have,
0: uh, you have songbirds though yeah
1: uh, I wouldn't know if I did. I have birds that are making noises in my backyard, <laughs> but I don't know. I, I'm not much of a birder. So uh, you just I gave us really... the
0: title for the episode. Birds <laughs> that make noises. Yeah, they the do backyard of, of Paul Franks.
1: <laughs> there, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: so you enjoy it there at Tyndale?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I really do. Uh, it's it's um the i whenever I first uh, started interviewing or, or started thinking about coming to Tyndale, um I actually talked with one of our former professors Gary DeWeese, about tyndale and I, i'm actually i I owe him uh, a big uh debt of gratitude for connecting me with my current colleague rich uh davis uh, and um Gary um said to me whenever I was asking him about the school, he said, I can't imagine you would ever be able to find a colleague better than Rich Davis." And for almost 14 years now, that's certainly been true. Uh, he's a uh, just a man of God. He loves God. He's a really outstanding philosopher, really a, you know, an encourager, and uh, has led our department really well. Um, we sort of take turns being department chair, uh, going back and forth. It's just a two-person department. Um, but even whenever I'm officially the chair, like he, he provides just such leadership to the students and uh, to a lot of our colleagues, uh, it's, it's been really, really great. And so I, I think uh, that's been one thing that I've really loved about Tyndale. And the other part that is um, unique is it's a small Christian liberal arts school. Like we have maybe a little over 500 or so undergraduate students. Uh, there's a seminary as well that has a little bit more, uh, a little bit larger number than that, but it's a pretty small school. Um, but it it has a, a, a kind of a feel from what many U.S. schools do. But what's I think really unique is a lot of schools in this, uh, uh, not just in the states, but I think in, in North America, sort of force their faculty to choose between. Um, are they gonna focus on research? Or like, is this gonna be a a quote unquote research school where that's the main thing that faculty are required to do? Or is this gonna be a teaching school where they don't care about research and then you you just have to do a bunch of teaching? And Tyndale, um, I think has been really admirable in how they've said you don't have to choose between those. And so they provide a lot of support for faculty to, uh, to do their research but teaching is a big part of what we do as faculty and we recognize that input to students so you there's that sort of you know I think a lot of institutions have developed this false dichotomy that if you' you care a lot about teaching then you can't have any research expectations uh, or if you, you 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 know your research expe- expectations are so high you just get a bunch of grad students to do all of the teaching and there's no no and whereas at Tyndale we've really gone down the middle. Um, and so uh, that's been um, something that was, I didn't, you know, really know that going into, you know, whenever I, I took the job back in, in 2008. Uh, but it's something that I, I learned pretty quickly. I, I remember at our first faculty meeting of this of the year, we went around the room and all of the faculty members were sharing some of their research projects and things like that. And hearing, you know, all of the things that people were doing, I thought to myself, like, okay, I, I've got to really stay on it. I got to make sure my research is, uh, you know, up to snuff or I'm going to Look like a loser amongst all of my colleagues. But then as I got to know them, <laughs> they clearly also really deeply care about their time in the classroom as well. And so I think that's been uh, probably the thing that I still appreciate each and every day uh, being, uh, being a faculty member there is just that uh, support to do research. They value it. They care about it. They'll fund sabbaticals and uh, conference grants and things like that. Uh, but then there's also a, a recognition that we're primarily there to invest in the lives of our students. Um, mm-hmm. That's why the institution exists.
0: How useful do you think is the classroom uh, time for students? Um, are, I student, think are students distracted? Yeah. Do they have computers out? Do they have their phones? Well,
1: out? I mean, because we're in Ontario and in, in Canada, the last couple of years, uh, it's we've done everything online. Um, and so we still haven't returned. Had Do you full allow
0: re- uh, computers in the online classroom?
1: Well, I tried to ban them, but then I ran into some hurdles uh, with uh, with participation, uh, kind of went through the the floor. But uh, so when I think back a few years ago when we were in the classroom, um, uh, I actually, for my my lower, my first and second year courses, um, don't allow laptops in the classroom and students hate that and they look at me like I'm crazy uh and but I'm giving you a double thumbs up yeah (laughs) (laughs) I I I just I can actually you know I have my grades uh and I could go back and look at the year that I banned laptops and just like there was just a steady like the curve just improved across the board you know not everybody got A's all of a sudden but people who were getting C's were now getting you know B minuses and B's like that kind of you just saw that kind of a of a of a of a jump and the classroom were you
0: tracking the same exact the students or you were well trying- no
1: i was sort of just having to look from uh from afar you know looking at the general distribution like before it okay. you know the the curve looked pretty similar and then after the curve looked pretty similar gotcha. it Just it was higher you know right um but uh, the other thing I actually did that, that helped a lot was I stopped using um, uh, PowerPoint slides myself mm-hmm. and just went back to writing everything on the board. And b- both of those things combined, I, s- I saw a lot more interaction with students during the class. Um, I don't know. There, um, uh, did you say just, team...
0: just the first two years you banned the laptop?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, I kind of, I feel like by the time they're in their third or fourth year, they're probably a little bit more equipped. And, um, and so, you know, if they want to screw off those years, um, they're probably too, too, it's too late to save them. Uh, (laughs) So, um, but for the first few, few years, I want them to like learn the actual skill of listening and deciphering and learning how to figure out what is worth writing down. Um, Yeah. You know, like whenever I, there are, I mean, not only are there distractions whenever people have their computers, but they also spend all of their time just typing everything I say, and they're not actually engaging their mind to think about what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, that was the same thing with um, overhead slides. Whatever they saw on the slide, they would just write it down and not think about it. Uh, and so one, one class, I actually had uh, a slide that it went up and it said, you don't need to write this down. And then I just watched how many people were writing it down and then they got like midway through and they realized and they kind of started to chuckle and look up at me. And that's when I thought, yeah, the slides are actually, I think a barrier for them actually being able to engage and think and and entertain the ideas. I'm saying they're just focused on writing down whatever they see on the screen. They're not thinking about it. And so when I got rid of that, yeah, yeah. That was such Uh, a
0: basic thing. It was so, it's stuff that you and I maybe take for granted. I I don't know how old you are, but at least when I was going through, it just was not even a, an option to take notes yeah. on a computer. When um, I
1: started so. at at Talbot, uh, that would have been in two thousand and two, mm-hmm. I had a Palm Pilot um, that <laughs> had a fold out keyboard that you could dock on, and I clacked away on notes on oh, that. Geez, uh, and then even, but then uh, I it didn't, it was too cumbersome, so I went uh, that didn't last too long. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, most, all my undergrad, I don't even think it was an option really to take uh, a, a,
0: a computer to class yeah so you had to learn that's really interesting and insightful you had yep. to learn what to prioritize as far as your notes and it is hard when you have a strong lecturer well let me rephrase that when you have a speedy lecturer a hmm. speedy lecturer isn't always a strong lecturer i think a strong yeah. lecture is a, is a fuller concept one yeah, that um that. yeah slows down enough for you to pick up what's important by hand if you're writing Mm -hmm. it by hand um so you said no powerpoints uh is that the whole for everybody
1: yeah the only class i haven't i still do them now is for my critical reasoning class and it's mostly just because it's so much faster to like put a passage on the screen and then diagnose the passage but even that i'm thinking about um getting away from it in in some way because i still think it's uh I still think it's would be better for not, but, but outside of that, uh, all of my classes are free of uh, PowerPoint slides. Um, cool. And you, you know, students uh, oh what's also God. great is I, I, st- I stopped getting emails asking me to post my slides. Cause I used to not do that uh, either. Uh, and, um, and so, but if I don't use them at all, and then there's no slides to post. So I don't have to field those questions anymore either. Uh. <laughs>
0: yeah. Cause then it was, what's the point of taking notes?
1: That's well, why come to class if you can just get your professor's notes afterwards? Um, yeah,
0: I know it's all about incentives. That's yeah. awesome. I'm glad to hear you're studying that stuff. Yeah. yeah, you're still a student of the classroom, so I think you have to be a student of yeah. the classroom. Uh, any effective teacher has to pay attention to that kind of thing. I think, yeah, I think that's right. That's cool. What kind of classes do you teach? Um, what's your, so, what's your load?
1: What you're teaching? Um, role? uh, that well, um, I feel some sometimes a little embarrassed to tell this to my American friends, but uh, most schools <laughs> like Tyndale in Canada are, have a three, three teaching load. Uh, and so whereas like in the States, they would often be four and four or sometimes even more. And so uh, my, my teaching load is pretty consistent in the fall. I usually do two sections of intro to philosophy and a section of critical reasoning. So it's a three, um, three. Yeah. 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 Um, and don't tell anybody, um, but our our semesters are also only 12 weeks long. Okay. And, s- and so we'll like- that out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it, it, that's why I said, this is actually part of Sorry, why I, I think it's a- so many faculty uh, are able to focus on their research is because we're, we're done teaching in the middle of April and don't start again until after labor day. And so there's a huge time period in the, in the summer where you can actually work on your research projects, you know, without even having to go the extra step of applying for a sabbatical. Um, And so that's really, really helpful. Um, And uh, it's something
0: you can't have guns.
1: Not easily. Not easily. Not easily. Uh, I, I just learned <laughs> is there that a actually. process
0: for. Oh, really?
1: There oh. is. I, I actually am a, uh, I, I had. They call it. It's called a possession and acquisitions license. Okay.
0: Uh, that's let me write the that offi- down.
1: That's the official one. And Sounds if you like want if you want to own a handgun, you also you have to get the restricted possession and acquisition license. Uh, and uh, I actually went through the, the that course over the summer, um, and it was the fur the the standard. Possession, the, the standard PAL course was uh, ten hours of classwork on a Saturday, uh, no range time or anything like that. Like there wasn't, it wasn't even at a range. It was just in a classroom. And this um, is for
0: the basic possession, or the just restricted? for the basic,
1: yeah, just for the basic. And then if you want the restricted, you got to come back another day for another eight hours, uh, where they just talk about um, restricted guns, which are ha- almost not solely, but almost exclusively handguns. Uh,
0: so just eight hours. So uh, it's eighteen uh, what's the, hours what's of the course the class course? time about.
1: Um, a lot of it is, um, regulations, like how to properly store them, how to, um, transport them. Uh, I mean, they do stuff about how they function as well, like, Mm -hmm. you know, different actions and things like that. And then, um, the instructor, you know, brought in several, um, Uh, handguns or in the day before, you know, shotguns and rifles. And so, you you know, you can, you have to show that you can, you know, how to load it properly and unload it. And I mean, it was, it was a fine course. It was just really long. Um, you know, and thankfully we had a good instructor talking about being a student of the classroom. Our our instructor was really good at that. Um, Oh, that's good. And so that was, that made it at least interesting.
0: Is that a private contractor or was that? Uh, So they,
1: they sort of hire it out to people. It's the the federal government oversees it. Um, so it's funny, you, you take the course and you do your tests and then you, um, the instructor takes the tests and mails them off to some other government agency. And then they verify it, um, and or do something and give their stamp and then they mail it to you. And then you fill out your paperwork and mail it off to the RCMP. Uh, and then What's the that? RCMP, the, um, Royal Canadian Mounted police, the Mounties. Um, it's kind of like the,
0: do, I, do they actually ride horses? <laughs>
1: Uh, some of them do. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, yeah, it's it's sort of like the uh, Canadian FBI. Like it's sort of the federal. Oh. Uh, it's a federally, uh, you know, it has a federal just jurisdiction, I but don't they think oversee. I ever oh, okay. Yeah, they oversee. I, I'm sure there there are um, things that aren't quite parallel between that comparison, but it, it's similar. Uh, but they oversee the Canadian firearms program. I think is what it's called, where they they uh, issue all of these things. So between the time that i so you have to ask for up,
0: permission to have a, a gun you have oh, to yeah. ask the per, you have to go to the king and say please sir can i have yes. a weapon for self defense that's it
1: yeah and okay. gotcha. uh to own a or to so if so i have a i now have a, a handgun and um basically i wanted to get one because the various certain parties in the in canada are starting to talk about um banning handguns uh like entirely and so yeah.
0: what what would so uh hold on
1: hold yeah, on, sure. for a sec um <laughs> i'm interested
0: in the cost of this how much does this cost
1: i think the cost i think it was 300 dollars for both courses maybe
0: so 150, 150 yeah. per course, or something.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, okay. something close. To, I think it's like actually like two hundred for the one, and then a hundred for the restricted one, or something to that effect. How, I much can't is remember that,
0: the, how much How much does that? Does that go directly to the government, or does that go to the direct? party responsible for teaching I think it class. goes
1: to primarily to the teacher. Maybe they get a cut of it. I don't know. But I think it primarily goes to the person running the course. Uh
0: because okay. they're and,
1: and different I did when I was looking around different people charge different amounts. Um and so but there's kind of a I think a sort of a, a standard minimum that they all have a kind of agreed on either by some law I don't I'm aware of or just by common agreement. They all like around 300 ish was about the, the the lowest that I could find. Um,
0: and then so, so then how did you get the handgun? Do you go to a, a dealer that's approved? Is it, is there a gun yeah. store? How's that yeah. work?
1: Yeah. So there's, there's gun stores. Um, and they, I, um, you don't really know that they exist cause they, they, at least the ones around here, they're not, they don't stand out. Like I drove past one store for, you know, 10 years before I learned that it was a, a gun store. Um, <laughs> really? so wow. you, yeah. So I go in and well, what I did have you think have... it
0: was? A barbershop or something? Or... Well,
1: it's all of the, uh, all of their windows are like covered. And so yes. I only know of two guns, stores, And both of them have the same. Thanks. I don't know if that's just a way. This, of him-
0: just this right here makes it sound like Canadians are so afraid of other Canadians. Just to me, that's what it sounds like.
1: It- it's the typical guns have cooties mentality. Um, okay, you know, and so
0: we're familiar um, with that down here as well in California, yeah, yeah.
1: Um, yeah. especially handguns, handguns have extra cooties. Um, <laughs> there's a real uh, allergy to them here. Um, but uh, I mean, what's I love what's that interesting word because is... it, it goes <laughs> back
0: to elementary school, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> which what's I think is, your is point. there's a
1: really vibrant like hunting community in Canada, as you would imagine, like you know, the great north here. Um, yeah, yeah, and absolutely. so. So,
0: beautiful there. Wow. amazing. Yeah. Uh,
1: it, it's, there's just all of these, you know, um, regulations that have sort of been, uh, folded in over, over time. And mm-hmm. I, I took my course in September of last year. And, um, it's,
0: re- it's really awesome that you did that. I'm really glad it, to hear I, that. It,
1: I think I, I think I picked up my, my firearm in, uh, February. So it was about a six month process. Whoa. Um, yeah, so you go in and you you go into the store and you show them your your ID, your um, uh, restricted PAL, and then um, once you uh, purchase it, then they hold on to it and then they send off paperwork to the RCMP to initiate the transfer. What, then, what's the
0: What's a PAL stand for? Restricted possession
1: and acquisitions license. So okay. to own or acquire a gun, you have to have a PAL.
0: Gotcha. Um, okay.
1: So like, if I got hit by a bus tomorrow. My wife would have a limited amount of time to either get a pal for herself or get rid of mom, of my guns um, because she doesn't have one, so she can't even um, um, possess one. Um, and so it's it's really pretty pretty stringent. Um, but then you're gonna love this. Um, whenever they call me and they said, so it took about six weeks, and they say, okay, uh, the initiation is complete. You can come and pick up your your handgun. Okay. So I get it and they give it to me in a case. They have a little lock that they put on it because you you have to transport it in a locked case, unloaded in a locked case. um, And then I drive home legally. I'm not allowed to go anywhere with it until I'm a member at a gun club and I can go and I'm on, I can only legally carry my, my handgun to a gun club. Hmm. And that's it like nowhere else. Um, And the there you know so you have to you know find which uh, i i went to uh, one one gun club near me to see what it cost and uh they had a model of um governance that they had shares in the club and there was only a certain limited number of shares so in order to join the gun club you had to buy a share and in order to buy a share somebody had to had to be uh willing to sell their share and so i drove to see what these shares are going for and uh there were two posted on the bulletin board and they were asking twenty thousand dollars for a, a share
0: that's and a shocker then, yeah, yeah it's a government and then, monopoly
1: and then it's a government once you have the share, monopoly. you you still have to pay the yearly fee like you know the the annual fee just like that the share just allows you to pay to be a member, it's like um,
0: taxi cabs and the medallions.
1: It, it, it's, that's exactly what it's like. Thankfully, not all of them are, have that model. There are other ones that are, you know, more are there any government
0: gu- gun clubs where it's public and aw- you pay fifteen dollars and that's it? Not not that I'm aware of um, shall issue. They,
1: okay. Yeah, there I don't I don't think so. Um, there's one so, club that you you pay, you know, you could pay a hundred bucks or so a year and that all, gives you the right to pay them thirty five dollars every time you go sort of so a, are sort the of a model.
0: Are the forests just crawling with police officers? Are they, are they at pretty much every tree? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, no. Because uh, the question is, is uh, the most effective uh, self-defense uh, tool in human history is at your disposal. And you have mm-hmm. a, you have hundreds and hundreds, thousands of square miles of beautiful yeah. forest where there are no bodyguards. There right. is no protection at all. Right. And not to mention, it's just a safe place to uh, go plinking, as, as yeah. I know from growing up in Colorado, you know, sure. from growing up in Oklahoma, and uh, practice the safe and effective, uh, lawful yeah. use of your, your handgun. And yet you're saying that the regime up there would, would consider you as criminal as like someone attacking you if yeah. you were prepared to defend yourself
1: yeah there's lots of really Sad. terrible horror stories about this of uh and this actually gets closer into our topic about you know dealing with evil and, and how we think yeah, about that yeah, but yeah. um there so that's a great for, segue so
0: too Wow, for my nice
1: for my handgun that i i have to store it in a locked container do you
0: want to say what it is do you? Uh, sure Where it's a, is, a SIG, we're interested.
1: It's a Sig uh, P320 uh, X-full. So um thank
0: you for coming. Yeah, you,
1: there's you can't um get small ones here uh, very easily. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, for, so that's, for as, that's as, the as smallest
0: might... one you could get. Did you want a small one?
1: Well, no, I I I I mean because you can't carry it like there's not really yeah. a need. You can get some that are a little bit smaller, but there's not really if you have larger hands, like there's not really a need to you know well, mess you with carry the, uh, it
0: could you carry it in an emergency is there a is there an exception for emergencies
1: not i uh, no in, not, in not outside my no mm. so i so um i mean if there to... was a
0: true emergency that everybody agreed was an emergency uh, yeah. it's such an emergency that nobody's sitting there talking about whether it's emergency because people They're are acting. acting yeah um it would be helpful to have a smaller one if you had to if you didn't yeah, want anybody yeah. to know you were armed
1: Yeah, I I mean, so you, I mean, I'm sure people do that, um, but it's illegal, you know. And so if you're caught with it, then there's big, big fines and penalties. Well, okay, that
0: makes sense. the 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 reason I bring it up is because in the California Penal Code, for example, Mm. uh, there is an exception in the Penal Code for Uh lawful use of a firearm that would otherwise be illegal Uh in an emergency. So, uh, for example, if um, if there's uh, imminent threat to life or serious bodily injury um and yeah i mean having the 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 weapon on you in an illegal place it's just so convoluted but yeah i mean if you if you had legal access to it uh and there was an emergency happening so in other words let's say you were that's why the firearm storage laws are so important um, in yeah. public, because California is—you can—if you don't have a concealed carry license, you—you you can only, um, for, t- for talking about handguns, um, you can only transport it in a locked container, unloaded. Right. And a trunk counts as a locked container. That's specifically okay. in the California Penal Code. A so it doesn't glo- have to be in a
1: container. In a container, it can a just glove be compartment. In the,
0: trunk. the glove compartment is specifically not. Uh, oh, okay. know, so they they go out of their way to say the console and the the right. glove container is not uh but uh a trunk is and there are what about corporates. a frunk
1: in the the, <laughs> the new ford f-150 the the all electric one it has a frunk that would yeah, count the, that would be okay so that, that would yeah that, that
0: would count yeah they they make an <laughs> exception for trucks they had to do that okay uh and also you know suvs because there's no trunk right so yeah, you have to yeah. figure out so there's kind of these awkward workarounds, but pi- private companies have come up with uh, essentially car safes that are mm. it's like a little safe and and you can legally transport it as long as it's unlo- unloaded oh, and, okay. and separated yeah. from the ammunition. And no one knows what that yeah. means. But anyway, um, so but now if you're driving and, um, y- you know, you have the weapon on you legally transporting it. And then there is, uh, you know, an earthquake or there's some kind of riot or there's right. some kind of really real emergency, like you, you see a woman being attacked, then you could use that firearm. Okay. of life property. Uh, yeah. I, I'm not
1: sure of what the, uh, the rules are, the laws are on in those cases here. I suspect it would be like, so if I was to, if I needed to have a, a gunsmith, take a look at my handgun. Before I could drive it to the gunsmith, question, I literally man. have to phone the RCMP
0: you have to and get what they call,
1: I'd get an authorization to transit, is the term, an ATT, and say to I'm taking that? it to, to. No, it's free, but you do have to tell them when you're taking it, uh, you know, the location, and then um, they'll give you a certain range, you know, by, for you to be able to return home from it. And so, I imagine if you were. Out driving and say you were on the way to a gun range and then there was something that came up and you, but I, 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 you, it would, you would definitely want to invest in um, law, you know, um, gun owners, insurance sorts of things. So you could have a, a lawyer who's aware of the the rules there. Cause I, I suspect they wouldn't uh, treat you very kindly there. One guy was charged with um, the, the, how do you like this for reasoning? So somebody was on his property throwing Molotov cocktails at his house. He runs and gets his wow. gun. I, I'm not sure if it was a... Uh, it was at his I own think house? it was a handgun.
0: What's that? He was throwing it at his own house?
1: No, a guy was... Th- somebody was... He was home. Somebody was throwing these things at his
0: house. Oh, okay. So it was an he attack. Grabs,
1: yeah, so he grabs his gun and fires two warning shots, and they run away. He was charged with illegal storage because they t- determined he was able to get his gun and ammunition so quickly that he couldn't have followed the proper storage laws because he got them too quickly
0: um are you thankfully not allowed, they ended up dropping charges you're not yeah. allowed to clean your own gun in your home
1: well that's that's that, that that's actually a big question under the law here is um when is it um in use? Like when is it being used? And so if you're in the middle of cleaning a gun and then you go to answer the door um, and it's the police and they walk in and they say, oh, your gun's laying out here. Uh, Like, you know, is that do you have to lock it in your in your safe before you go and answer the door? And that's actually a question that's not been settled by the Canadian courts here about what counts as legal um, or what counts to you for you to use it. Um, So, yeah, it's it, it would Definitely, um, it would be wise if you were ever thinking that you might use your firearm in a, in a situation like that, especially outside of your home. Uh, you would you would want to ha- make sure you have some insurance to help you cover some of your lawyer's fees. Um, yeah. Now, the, the these are all restrictions for the handguns, for shotguns and rifles. It's a little bit like, you, you're, for transport, it just has to be unloaded. Um, uh, you know, Same for storage, it, can you it's got to be unloaded. Can you
0: take your rifle or shotgun... Outside of the home legally.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So you can only, you can only legally, you know, discharge it in places where it's you're legally allowed to discharge it. So, um, you know, uh, if you're in a forest and you're, and hunting is allowed, that would work. Um, if you're on someone's private property and the city limits, you know, or the city, whatever their, their, their jurisdiction allows. Um, now that's firing. an
0: interesting issue that but, you cannot take your pistol to someone's yeah. large, uh, private property where, uh, it would be quite undisturbing to other people to, like, in terms of yeah. noise, in terms of safety, yeah. uh, to to shoot. Because well, people in the United States do that all the time. They take the gun to uh, private property to go yeah. shoot targets and practice yeah. gun safety and gun yeah. gun you look at these uh, youtube guns.
1: videos and the guys are you know demonstrating yeah. some new right. you know some new 22 that came out or whatever and they're in their backyard you know shooting's like nope that would not it would have to be officially approved as a designated fire um ray, a firing range um in order to to the. who knows what that would cost um but uh, yeah, so you can do you know, shotguns and rifles is different, but, uh, but handguns are, are different because they're do, uh, the bullets that those? come out of a handgun are different than those that come out of a rifle. So uh, they got to have different rules for a,
0: it. Yeah, uh, it is odd. You know, you have probably noticed how odd the, the, the structure is. They're worried about handguns in a forest. Yeah, that's just weird to me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it it I mean, seem like to me. To me, it seems like it would be. Um, well, OK, you. Where do you start <laughs> with yeah. this stuff? I mean, <laughs> yeah. it, it, the, the basic problem I have with with the, the regime as it's as, as it's structured is that it criminalizes innocent conduct and yeah. it, it blurs the line between innocent conduct and criminal conduct. When an innocent person can be charged criminally, there, there's a yeah. problem with that. Yeah. And yeah, being I, I prepared agree. for self-defense is not criminal. Yeah. That's not yeah. under the natural law. That's not criminal.
1: Yeah, I agree. And, yeah, uh, that's it's merely it, it, transporting
0: it a gun is not criminal. Possession of a gun is not criminal. It's what you do with it. That's the criminal mm-hmm. issue. And and yeah. we've strayed so far from that basic understanding of what cr- criminality is uh, we start inventing crimes. Uh, no wonder innocent people need lawyers all of a sudden. I yeah. mean, yeah. now I wonder what the lawyers think about this. they probably love it because they're, <laughs> they're never out of work.
1: That's right. They're never That's out right. of
0: work. So,
1: yeah. and well, and, and what's interesting is, um, you know, there are, there is a, a significant amount of, of gun crime here in, in Canada. Um, but almost all of the crimes that are committed, they are, they come from firearms that are already illegally obtained, usually through the States. Um, you know, so they come through illegally. And so passing all of these other, like passing more laws restricting what I do with a handgun isn't the, the, you know, whenever we was in the, we were in the class and uh, the instructor told us about having to call the RCMP to get an ATT in order to transport our handgun from one place to another. A buddy of mine who was taking the class with me, he said, well, is that what all the criminals do, too? Do they call the RCMP and say, hey, I'm going to go uh, rob this store over there? Do I have your permission to take my handgun with me? And uh, he just laughed and said, I'm not allowed to talk about politics in the class, but uh, that is a question worth asking. Uh, <laughs> and so, you know, you, you, you mentioned,
0: you, yeah, you mentioned gun crime, that, that yeah, it's that, interesting the your use of the term. I'm not sure if you were tracking your use of the term. You were using the term in a natural law sense, which is interesting. And I, I really like that. But I don't know if you were. I don't know if you did that on purpose. I'm not when, sure that when, I did. I don't think well, off, I chose. I'll the tell you what I tell you, over
1: something else. Uh,
0: I'll tell you what I mean by that. Yeah. When when and you, it's usually that's usually the way it's used. the The word gun crime, mm. the word crime is referring to something immoral. Because the regime you just suggested would say that the gun gun crime would go up the more laws there are gun crime goes mm. up and that, that's because innocent people now are yeah. criminals for doing innocent things so in other words you take your gun out at home in the privacy of your own home that's a criminal offense yeah, yeah that's, that's 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 gun that's gun crime yeah. <laughs> if you load your gun yeah. just to practice in your own home that yeah. would be a criminal offense how many yeah. times is that happening probably all across canada yeah. so the gun crime goes up now no one's tracking those statistics necessarily right. but but it's um but every time somebody is concerned for their own safety and they put a handgun in their backpack or something when they go hiking that's yeah. gun that's now gun that's crime a, Yeah. yeah and and but but the way that people typically mean by gun crime gun violence whatever you want to say um they mean something immoral. They mean someone yeah. is assaulting somebody else, or they right. mean that somebody there's attempted murder with a firearm. Right. That's what right. they mean. And there's, that's the moral there's a crime
1: issue. that's being committed with the use of a gun. And it's not immoral. The crime, it's, it isn't about the gun. And yeah. it's
0: immoral, too. Yeah, got to be immoral. Right. Yeah. Having yeah. the gun in your backpack for self-defense is not immoral. Yeah. But but the regime considers that a criminal offense. But that's the problem yeah. with it. I don't like that. Yeah, I yeah. think it it teach. My concern is is it teaches the young people the wrong lessons about right and wrong mm. too. I think the law does teach, and it teaches adults too um, over the long run. So, and yeah. I, I don't like I don't like the lessons that it teaches. So, but good for you for uh, for acquiring that. uh yeah. learn, going through the process, learning yeah. about it. Um, I think it's there's something very valuable about. Um, you know you're an American everybody knows you're an American probably Um, and you go through the process you say okay I'm gonna I'm here I'm a you know I'm kind of a visitor are you a citizen you're not a citizen (laughs) I'm I'm
1: a permanent resident we've not yet gone through the process of doing citizenship so okay um,
0: are you going to stay up there for your whole career then you think we have, don't have any plans on leaving.
1: Um, you know, gotcha. we've, we've got a, we've got a great church and, uh, we love our kids' schools and my wife's doing really well in her, her uh, job. And, um, so we, yeah, we've, we've did just your kids um, go to public school and no, they, they go to, they, they did for uh, a couple of years. Um, but they're now back at uh, a classical classical, two of them are at a classical school. And then one of them, our older one is at a, another different, uh, Christian school. Oh.
2: Um,
1: So yeah, they uh, it was great. Classical academies sort of launched for the first time in Ontario right around the time that our kids became school age. So prior to that, there weren't any classical schools uh, anywhere nearby. Now there's a handful of them um, in the in the province. So um, yeah, that's been really helpful. Uh, We've really enjoyed that.
0: Mm. That's awesome. Um, Now you let's go back to the courses you were teaching.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, um,
0: you, you, you said you had a 3-3 three, three load. You teach intro yeah. in the fall. And I think you did, You said two intro to philosophy. And, and then, then one
1: critical reasoning. One critical that's usually reasoning. my standard. You know, sometimes things have to change, but typically that's, that's what I'll do. Um, that's cool. And Yeah, it's nice because the, the, having the two sections of intros keeps the class sizes a little bit smaller so you can have more time to give feedback on essays and, and things like that instead of having, you know. What's a the no class size? Class. Um, it's usually around 35-ish for the intro courses. So nice. And, you know, so even if it was just one class, it's doable compared to what students, you know, some professors at, you know, larger state schools are, but, uh, you know, Tind- because Tindale's has a, a smaller student body overall, we really try to take the, take advantage of that to the best that we can and, and really try to allow um, professors to get to know their students well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so then in the, in the, the, we call it the winter term because uh, it's still winter by the time we finish. Uh, so in our winter term, you mm-hmm. um, uh, I teach a bunch of, it's kind of a hodgepodge of courses, philosophy of religion. Um, I teach a, uh, normative ethical theory course. Um, I teach some seminars on, uh, the problem of, I teach a seminar on the problem of evil, um, one on the, the metaphysics of free will, um, I just this last term I taught one on the ethics of war uh, which is really interesting especially given uh the uh, Ukraine uh, uh the yeah. war in Ukraine um and then I teach uh, philosophy of mind uh I taught a political philosophy course once and um but I haven't gone back to it yet because it was just a real chore that's certainly outside my my specialty I have an interest in it but not I'm not uh, versed well, well enough versed in it to, like, to have a really solid course for it so that's probably I'm going to have to go back to that at some point and really yeah. read up on it. And, uh, cause I think that would be something that would be good for the students. So yeah, so it's kind I of th- a hodgepodge of different courses in the winter term.
0: I think it'd be cool. I mean, if you ever had a, a, a an opportunity to do like an elective, I mean, I, I bet, but you wouldn't be able to do this, but I think it would be cool if, if, uh, you could teach the philosophy of law or something Mm. and, and have them have the student go through the acquisition process of a (laughs) firearm, and just talk about it as you go through. Yeah. yeah. Compare the way different ways that different countries do it and, and uh, talk about the merits of the second amendment versus the other side. And, um, the natural law on self defense i think it'd be a very interesting uh, yeah. take on criminal law and of course you could get into other aspects of it yeah. too
1: we've actually thought we, with uh, my colleague rich and i we've talked about having a philosophy of law course um oh. and then we were like well which one of us is going to teach it and we're like oh. yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know that's something that that uh, you know if we could find somebody that could do it for us um you know then it would be, we'd certainly be open to something like that i think it would there would be an interest there among among our students um
0: so you grew up in Oklahoma. What was that That's like right. growing up in Oklahoma?
1: Um, yeah, I mean, typical suburban life, you know, it was, um, you what know, city a lot of uh, Mustang, Oklahoma. So it's uh, the home of Dennis Bird. Uh, who's played for the New York Jets? Uh, uh, oh, he was, really? uh there was a Dennis Byrd movie that was made about him once because he he, he uh, actually was paralyzed uh, during a football game. Oh,
2: uh,
1: and then oh, the movie really was about wrong. his recovery, and uh, so this was back in the 90s. Um, but it was really, really interesting moving, moving story. Um, but uh, you know, it's sort of a rural area, like you know, we have sort of you know, I lived in just a suburban neighborhood but then like right next to me was a big pasture you know you could hear the cows at night you know making a racket when you're trying to sleep <laughs> that sort of a thing so it's kind of that kind of a mix so i wasn't out on a farm or anything but i was you know mustang was like in between a bunch of farms and then it's the next yeah. town you know and uh so um yeah so it was you know a smallish uh you know and, uh, community um but uh you know it's probably half an hour west of uh, oklahoma city so you know you can there's you know city-like things that you could easily get to to do and stuff so it wasn't out in the middle of the sticks um
0: but by city but life you mean like get some ice cream yeah go, you go to, to the a mall
1: or something go to a movie <laughs> or you know you don't mean like go thing. to
0: broadway or anything like
1: that no 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 not not that kind of city life um, gotcha so
0: yeah that's what i figured did you go tow- cow tipping
1: uh we never did actually uh but uh we we, okay. we often talked about it but uh did you
0: grow up around guns since we already mentioned yeah,
1: guns? That, yeah. that was the main reason actually we started going through this course is that my my father passed away a few years back uh from cancer and um he had that. you know his hunting rifles and, and shotguns and things and i i was wanting to take my my son's hunting and so mm-hmm. um you know once i decided to kind of get moving on that. I realized, okay, I got to go through all of this process. So that, that was really the primary reason were you able that to I'd...
0: bring those up there.
1: Uh, yeah. So I was able to do that uh, here recently. So just a, a couple of, um, you know, some basic, basic shotguns and, and a rifle and, um, and uh, like a black powder uh, gun as well. of his. So um,
0: yeah. Praise, some... praise God that you were able to, you weren't forced by the Canadians to uh, get rid of the that sentimental property that you have. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, it's, what's actually interesting is on that process, the Canadian uh, getting it into Canada was the easy part. It was going through all of the figuring out what all the rules are for it leaving the U S because there are certain different departments. They, they consider like, even though it's just, you know, me with like, you know, four or five, you know, uh, rifles and, 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 shotguns, um, I'm considered an exporter. Uh, and so, which like they treat me as if I was a business trying to export these things to, for, for profit. And, you know, so um, it was, a it took me a while. It ended up not being as cumbersome, but it took me, uh, you know, a good six months or so of trying to like navigate what rules apply to me and what doesn't. And then eventually I was able to figure out that there are some exemptions that that applied that I could use that I could use that would prevent me from having to get export licensing and and all of that sort of stuff um so it just means i have to keep them i can't sell them while i'm out here like they have to come back to the states at some point um you know and so like uh, you know I, that that's fine with me what does that mean
0: that you when they check <laughs> <laughs> they they well, check you at the border and they make sure you have guns. I, yeah, I'm, I'm <laughs> like I wait hold on a those... pop that trunk. We want to make that's sure right. you have guns. Yeah. So I don't really
1: know how they enforce that, uh, but that's, it's uh that's... it's, an, so it's many... an exception.
0: Paul yeah. Paul, I, I'm laughing because when I've studied political science, law, American law for so long, and American politics. And I you just have to have a sense of humor because yeah. it's human nature, you know, human nature, we're sinful. Yeah, but most of the time, this stuff is not well thought out. It's no. just people just shooting from the hip. Um, yeah, no. And making
1: adjustments as problems come up. That's and exactly regulations what happens. longer. And they longer just punt and... it to
0: the, the attorneys, yeah. and that's yeah. not a good way to do it. No, but no. Wow, that's interesting. You're treated as by the U.S. as an exporter. Wow, that's yeah. just fascinating. Now, what about um, if you had inherited your dad's handguns, for example? What um,
1: so the, it would have been the same process. I just would have to, so whenever with the, the shotguns and rifles, basically when I got to the border, I just had to show them my, my pal. Um, and then, you know, they kind of go through and they check and to make sure it's a, so it's you
0: a, had to have that in place already. And that yeah. takes six months. Did you say? Yeah. Or, well, I, how I, long I does that it was, take?
1: It took to me. So from September until February, to um,
0: just get the pal. Yeah. That's a long time. Why does it take so long?
1: Because I I, I've been told that the RCMP they they just
0: stare at your social security card for for six months and then
1: they go oh oh, oh, okay okay now yeah okay I I've I've been told that the RCMP is just really understaffed um partly because of COVID that like they're they're not they didn't have as many people in their offices Um, I will say this I've I've had to call them a couple of different times to kind of navigate the bringing in of guns to uh, Canada. (laughs) And every time I called somebody there, I felt like, first of all,
0: just God bless you. When we pray for you, Lord, (laughs) please be with Paul (laughs) in this important work.
1: I found the people there to actually be really helpful and kind. And I didn't okay. get the impression that they were opposed to people owning guns. They were just administering the program. Like the people that I talked with, they're like, Oh yeah, well, I've got something similar. You know, like they were kind of, they were, they were friendly and helpful, but I I got the impression that they were understaffed and that's probably why it took longer you than have, normal. You had
0: a little uh, bit of a Canadian accent there. you I did think you well, picking up your, you, well, when you did their voice, it, yeah, it yeah. really did sound Canadian.
1: Well, I, I get teased about that from my brother and, uh, his wife especially anytime we go back home uh that was you know, a good his... impression that was really yeah.
0: good wow <laughs> it un... felt like i what was on the phone me, it was
1: it was unintentional and yeah. it, so that makes me worried uh
0: that makes sense i guess <laughs> I, I you know i i don't have any ill feelings toward the canadian people I, at all i mean i i every canadian i've ever met has been a delightful person um
1: yeah but, That's the stereotype. And it's that it it, it emerged for a reason. I think they are, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, kind people.
0: Um, Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I I think we could learn a a thing or two (laughs) from them. That's that's great that you're being you're not being mistreated uh, by people. I mean, the the laws are, I think, abusive, but yeah. Yeah, but um, yeah. wow, a lo- amazing process you've had to go through <laughs> uh, just to learn yeah. about the the laws. I so, feel like
1: I should start like a service. I could I could be a consultant for others who are going through the same thing and to, like that's just, just actually, download all of this now useless information that I have in my head. That that's not I, a bad idea.
0: Yeah, that's um, not a bad idea. Like so. Uh, well, okay, so um, I'm kind of jealous that you're able to teach such a cr- a cool predictable schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you have your choice of selections, like as an upper level, uh, what are your upper level class enrollments typically like?
1: Um, it, it, it varies, but I would say it's usually around 15 to 20 in the upper level, the seminar, uh, cause we really try to design this to feel like a grad school seminar because a lot of our students wow. actually uh, want to yeah. go off to do uh ma work and and you know several of them a lot of them go off and do their ma's and then kind of go get a job doing something else and then we have a handful that um you know have gone on to do um their phds and so we wanted for those that are interested we wanted to kind of see what that might feel like so we mm-hmm. cap that at 12. Uh, our seminars gotcha. are, are at 12 because uh, it's oh, hard to do wow. that kind of a format but much more and much larger than that it's usually around 10 is what we usually get in uh, mm. in, a, in a seminar or somewhere in that, that neighborhood. Um, every once in a while, I'll have just really large um, 300 level classes. Like a couple of years ago, I had almost 40 people in my ethics course. I'm like, where are you? Why are you all in this course? Like, <laughs> where did you come from? Uh, you know, but I would say it's normally around in the 20s range, somewhere around, around there. So it's usually pretty uh, healthy. 15 to 20 is a, is a pretty healthy uh, average size. Uh, class and, and which is great because you you really get to know the students and um you know you you can give them a good amount of feedback on their writing and you know you have good discussions in the classroom and it's a it's a really great experience um, I think that's it's one of the the real benefits of of, uh, of a Tyndale education is that sort of um, like whenever uh, Rich and I sit down to write a, a letter of reference. Uh, for a student, like, you know, we've had them because it's just the two of us. We've had them in a bunch of courses and got to know them really well. So we can actually write, you know, informative letters uh, talking about specific papers that they've written for us because we oftentimes just remember, oh, yeah, they wrote the paper on that topic, you know, and, and so mm-hmm. it's um, it's it's kind of a neat experience.
0: And those letters go, I think, a lot further if people actually read them, which I think they yeah. do, yeah. Um, especially if there's a competitive program. Yeah, that's, that's really good. Um, what's the library like? How strong are the holdings in the library?
1: Um, I So every year, this is one of the questions that students get asked on their student evaluations, and I've never heard, seen anyone complain about lack of resources. Um, and I, I think it's because um, our library had this really, and COVID kind of shut it down, but basically, um, I could tell the library to um, put in my mailbox, my on-campus mailbox, various journals, and then I get the journals and I go and I, in, in any of the books that are reviewed. I just put my initials by it and then give it back to the library and they go and get the book and they add it to their collection. Um, and so totally faculty helps. actually can have a, a pretty active role in helping the library develop their um, their collection. And our, our head librarian, uh, Hugh Rendell is, his name is just fantastic. Every time I've emailed him and said, Hey, here's a journal, here's the, here's a, a, a a database. you know, I think we could use it. He's said, okay, like he will find a way to, to make it happen. Um, and so that, that it's, um, you know, we don't have the, the largest I'm sure we don't have the largest terms of like collection, like in terms of pure numbers, but I feel like the quality of our holdings are really high. Um, wow. And, and there, there certainly has been as much, uh, institutional support, uh, for developing those things. But I remember when I first came here, um, you know, uh, he said, Hey, would you be interested in, you know, do you want to receive these journals or not? And I was like, sure. And then, you know, it's kind of like you're a kid at the candy store. You're like reading through like, Oh, well, i kind of, that, that, looks good. I'd like to read that. Or I think that would be helpful for students. And you just put your initials on it. And then it shows up in the library and you know, what, what about for volumes?
0: What about for volumes? Do they do the same thing if you want a monograph?
1: Uh, yeah, basically. Yeah. If it's, um, Those are more I, I, expensive. Know, yeah, uh, yeah, I've, I've never had him <clears> tell <throat> me that's something that they can't afford to acquire. Um and so uh um, that's
0: that's really that's a strong program they have there. That's yeah. that that might I, I don't know how it is exactly at other programs, but if the faculty have that much of an active role uh in in, in uh acquiring, no wonder it's such a high quality. Yeah, that's really good. That's really yeah, it's
1: good. it's been it's been great. Like there was a few several years ago. I don't know if you're familiar with the Oxford Bibliographies online. Have you heard of this service? No. Uh, oh, it's, it's, it basically it's a uh, peer reviewed annotated bibliographies of, so you could go, oh, you log cool. in and you can say problem of evil. And then I can't remember oh. who did the problem. I think Quanvig maybe did the problem of evil one, but they are like, you know, really well established peer reviewed. And it's, here's all of the, the main articles or the main books and, <laughs> you know, with a quick summary of it, um, And I I found out about it and asked our librarians, Hey, you know, I think this would be great to a great resource for our students to help them as they're beginning their research papers. And he said, yeah, great. So he subscribed to that for the philosophy department or for the philosophy uh, journal. And then also, I think it was uh, biblical studies has, has a, has it as well. So now Tyndale students can use it for both. So it's that kind of an attitude that if, if you can, you know, give them some reasons to think that this is something that students would would use and would be helpful, then he's certainly been willing to find the, the, the budget to make it happen. Um,
2: that's awesome. So, yeah. It's,
1: it's been really, yeah, a real blessing. Uh, even in my own personal research, much less for students, just for me, it's been helpful to be able to go and find the books that I need, um, or, or you know, they'll, they'll get them for me if, if, uh, if they don't have it. So it's, yeah, it's been really good.
0: And do you like, I'm looking at your background right now. Is that a real background?
1: That is a real background. Yeah. Those
0: are real books.
1: Cool. those are real books so those are books that the, you
0: can hold in your hand
1: that's right so this is sort of more of literature books here mm-hmm. uh and these are more theology commentaries looks and like then,
0: is that the two volumes on luke
1: there yeah, like, by bach? yeah that's the one that always people ones? always recognize yeah, uh, yeah. daryl box uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. and then um my so first master's here...
0: degree was on luke so i i use bach so, a lot so
1: these are my philosophy books that have come found their I way see, home. I to see
0: Copelston. Uh, I see some Frederick Copelston. Yeah, right yeah. I gotta have...
1: So these are all ones that are typically at my office. Most of my collection is, is in my office at school, but because I've we've been doing everything online, like you know, every oh, six I weeks see, I gotta I go see to the office. Something opposite.
0: else there in the corner there.
1: Oh, yes. That's <laughs> you another
0: don't, you don't have to say what it is. But
1: <laughs> that's Praise God. I just, my wife didn't want it in the bedroom. So yeah. Uh, oh,
0: good for her. <laughs> good for her until there's a bump in the night, then she'll change.
1: That's it. right. Yeah. Well,
0: the, I love the lighting and I love that color that you have for the wall. It's a really nice shade of blue. This used really to be wonderful. a nursery
1: uh, and until COVID happened and um, I needed an office. So now awesome. we have our, all three boys are sharing a room because I needed somewhere to have a class. <laughs> How old are your boys? Uh, 12, almost 10 and six. Uh, so 12 yeah 12 9
0: and 6 that's an interesting Um, distribution well congratulations what a thanks what a beautiful family yeah um now uh we had you come on because of the problem of evil i know that you have some kind of some thoughts on the problem of evil Mm. uh you've thought about it you did your phd at the university of Oklahoma, I believe. That's did right. Study, did you study under Zag Zebsky? Linda? That's, that's right. Zag yeah, she was, um, my,
1: my dissertation advisor. And so I got to take several courses with her as well, as you, as you might imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my, my dissertation was uh, more on, I mean, it was on the problem of evil in, in general, but it was really looking at, um, the free will defense and aspects of the free will defense and how it is or if it's compatible with various other kinds of christian doctrine um so it's interesting i, I um, was struggling to find a topic to you know write the dissertation on to really zero in on one and i, I happened to write a paper for for linda and on mm-hmm. um the connection be, or some tensions between certain conceptions of original sin and certain understandings of uh, free will defense and so uh she then said you know why don't you just like use this as the basis for a chapter and then write a few more chapters on looking at other doctrines like why don't you structure your dissertation around sort of that that sort of way and i was like that's great because that interaction between philosophy and theology has always been really interesting to me anyways and so i just didn't know if that would fly at a you know a a public school or, or not but whenever um you're dissertation advisor suggests it and uh that's a pretty pers- a good person to have in your corner and so i i know uh, that was the the focus of the the dissertation then uh so it was not necessarily just on it was sort of say here's a common response to the problem of evil but there there may actually be some tensions between it and other other things that um that christians will, uh, um, often hold and so um uh, so I looked at um the nature of um are, you know, what, what free will might look like in heaven. Um, because, you know, sometimes people will say, wow, you, you have to, you know, if uh, free will is so important, and it's a justifying reason for evil here and now, well, in heaven, it's heaven's even better than earth. Yeah, there's no, there's no sin in heaven. So apparently, you don't need free will in heaven. And so how do you how do you make sense of that? Um, uh, or, you know, some, some have argued that uh, God could have just created us with the same kind of character that he has. And so he's a really good being. And he doesn't, <laughs> have to have the ability to do evil so why wouldn't he just sort of create us with that give us the necessary knowledge and power um to always do what is right and then you don't have any of the you get all of the goods from that and none of the evil so it's those kinds of you know, yeah. you know the nature of divine freedom or, or freedom in heaven that, that kind of stuff um so yeah it was a really fun project um i'm well, actually would you mind working... uh, yeah. yeah go this,
0: ahead uh, would you mind just uh, giving us the conclusion because i think Well, maybe we probably should define some terms after you give us your conclusion, but uh, in case there's somebody listening to this and is, um, is wondering where you land on things uh, just to reassure them. um, Yeah. I don't always think that that's the good way to do it, by the way. I'm just saying for this, for purposes of this, would you mind, uh, Did did you did you uh, did you lose your Christian faith when you were working through this or no,
1: thankfully, thankfully not, Uh, it would would be hard to be a uh, intellectually honest professor at a Christian institution, uh, if I had so uh, thankfully, thankfully not and so the what the where I kind of I, I came down on is. There are certain, um, at least with original sin, I do think that there are certain conceptions of original sin that are incompatible with a free will defense to the problem of evil. And so um, you have some options then, right? You could give up the free will defense, uh, or you can revise your understanding of original sin. Um, And uh, I don't think... Um, either of those requires you to give up your Christianity, uh, you know, and so, um, so that's kind of, um, I think that's probably the most, um, the one where there's the most sort of, uh, maybe internal tension. I, I think with the other issues, it's just, once we have a better understanding of what heaven is, you can mm-hmm. see, oh, there is no conflict between it and free will, uh, or you understand like the nature of divine freedom. And, and if God were to create us in that similar sort of way, there would be something that would be missing. And you say, okay, well, yeah, once you tease out what would be missing, then there's no tension between the free world. But I do think there are tensions between say a, a really strong. So if, um, basically if just to give a bit more detail to it, if your version of original sin uh, holds that you are born guilty for Adam's uh, transgression then I think it's going to be really hard for you to consistently maintain a, a free will defense to the problem of evil. Because the free will defense um, re- relies heavily on notions of libertarian freedom. And the, it's, it's going to be hard to maintain that, that a libertarian conception of free will in a way that would make it acceptable for someone to be held guilty on behalf of what someone else did. Right, that's that's where the tension is going to to. to Would to, you say to
0: libertarian? Uh, if someone doesn't know what that term means in philosophy, what's libertarian free will?
1: Yeah, so it's it's basically an account of freedom that says that our actions are not determined by things that happened, uh, sort of. Um, Let's say antecedent conditions, things like the past states of affairs, uh, the laws of nature, those sorts of things don't determine our actions. And so some libertarians think that um, one of the things that is, um, also goes into it is what they call the principle of alternative possibilities, which means like uh, if, if at any moment you were to engage in a, an action, if there is no alternative possibilities available to you, then it's not a free action. Right. If you're if you if there's only one thing that you can do, uh, then that's not a free action. And so that I, I would say most libertarians probably build into their account of libertarian freedom the principle of alternative possibilities. And you can see if that's your understanding of libertarian freedom is that you have to have an alternative um, option, some other. So if you're thinking if you're going to a, you have to be able to b at least be have that as an option as a, as, a, as an alternative there. Um, and mm. if you don't, if you, if you can only a, um, then it's not a free action. Well, if that's your view, um, it's really hard. Some, to some, some yeah, people
0: are probably just now thinking, wait, there's more than one view of what free will is. And yeah, yeah it's like, well, welcome to the party. I know that's right. I know it's hard that's to right. keep up sometimes when if this might be your first ex- exposure to this, or maybe the second mm. or third, even, yeah, uh, and you're listening to Paul talk, and you're thinking, "How does he talk so fast? And how does he know all this <laughs> stuff?" Well, just because he spent a lot of time on it, and just when you spend a lot of time on something, just like yeah. you could talk about firearms if you spent a lot of time on it, um, right. just like anything, you just pick it up and and you learn uh, these these concepts and stuff like that. So, yeah, the basic issue is that there are more there is more than one view um, on what free will is yeah so some people yeah. will use the term in different ways and that's it's a little bit it, it's kind of a pain but that's why we do philosophy because we got to figure out which well, one is the better what one. also
1: makes it more <laughs> what also makes it even more difficult is sometimes these terms are also used in different ways in other contexts right? yeah so if somebody like might have heard say libertarian yeah.
0: and they're, they're like thinking, wait ron what? paul
1: that's right that's right <laughs> and so they're thinking um, ayn rand yeah right uh and yeah. so i guess maybe so the two broad camps or i guess they the, the whenever the two broad broadest camps of when it comes to what free will is 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 one view says that um free will is is being um is doing what you want to do like i mean this is a very much of a broad like a yeah. super thumbnail sketch uh yeah. and so you could be free to do what you want to do and be determined to do what you, to do what you want to do. So um, you might say you're determined to want to um, become a philosopher. And then you are, um, you, so you want to become a philosopher and you go off and you become a philosopher and they say, look, uh, you freely became a philosopher because you're doing what you wanted to do. That, that would be again. uh, So this is a group that would be known as uh, compatibilists. Okay, great. So that's not the
0: libertarian. Yeah. So that's that's not the PAP people, the Right. principle of alternative possibilities right
1: so there if there are any compatibilists listening to this they're not going to like that thumbnail sketch and so i just ask (laughs) you to forgive me for just brevity's sake to just leave it at at that for now there's a lot more that could go into that but that would be one broad camp and then the other broad camp would say um free will is not compatible with determinism it's incompatible so if you're determined to engage in some particular action then you didn't do it freely so the compatibilists will say, you know, what's the what's compatible with what? It's I always like to tell it with students. Well, it's freedom is compatible with determinism, or some might other context they might say moral responsibility <laughs> is compatible with determinism. But they they you can kind of think of those two kind of lumped lumped together, um, at least for 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 this uh, for our purposes here. Whereas on the other side of, of of the view, it's that freedom is not compatible with determinism, and that's where many people will. Uh, locate this principle of alternative possibilities, right? Because if you're not determined, the the thinking goes, then you have more than one option available to you. Right, and so you could you could become a philosopher or you could become a historian, and those are two genuine live options, and nothing is determining you to do the one versus the other, and that's what that's that's the kind of framework that has to be present in order for you to be truly free on on this this other this 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 sort of a view, uh, and okay. it's that view. So the reason mm-hmm. that I worry about that view as it relates to something like a doctrine like original sin, is uh, if you're a compatibilist, and it's you can be determined to do things freely and you can be morally responsible for what what you were determined to do, then it's not that big of a problem to say um, that you're responsible for original sin. Like thinking about original sin on a compatibilist line isn't all that interesting. Um, And so it's those types of people, though, aren't likely to use a free will defense anyways. So the people who use a free will defense to the problem of evil are people who think that whenever we think about why there is evil in a world that was created by God, who is loving and powerful and knowledgeable, why is there evil in a world that's created by some being like that? The people that use a free will defense are what they're saying is there's something about human persons having this free will that justifies the possibility for evil. And so... um, most compatibilists i say most because there is one uh, uh one exception but most compatibilists just don't have it have any interest in the free will defense at all because the free will defense makes use of this libertarian notion of freedom right. and if you're a compatibilist, you think that that libertarian notion of freedom is wrong well,
0: um let's let's uh let's uh hold off for a sec let's go back sure. to what the problem of evil is um yeah that's <laughs> i think good. that might be really good for us yeah. to kind of uh start there and then we'll come back around on original sin Uh, the problem of evil is is it's typically uh do you mean it to be a challenge from what could be used from an unbeliever but it could also Mm -hmm. be someone that's a believer that's just wondering
2: Yeah. yeah
0: how is it that there's a god that cares for us and loves us and created us for a purpose. And yet there's all sorts of evil and horrible things going on. I don't know how you cash out. There's different ways to cash it out, but what's the the problem of evil?
1: Yeah. So I, I, there, there really are problems of evil. Like that's really the the best way of thinking about it. And so one, so just thinking at it in the large, the, like the broadest categories, one would be sort of what you might call an an existential or experiential, maybe, or, or even religious, problem. And that's more, that's the kind of problem that you might say, like, you know, why is this happening to me? Or why would God allow this to happen to me or to my family member? And, and the kind of response to that type of problem, I, I often, I, the way I think about it, and this is something that uh, the, the really well-known uh, Christian philosopher Alvin Plantinga points out, the kind of, they, they're actually calling for more of a pastoral type of a response Not a a philosophical treatise there. They, 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 you, you, you might um, help them through that in a different sort of way. So that's kind of, that's one sort of thing is it's, you know, um, whenever my father was diagnosed with cancer, that was the initial sort of thinking that I had It's like, why would this happen to to, to me or to my dad or to, you know, like, whereas the the appropriate
0: response would be empathy. uh, Yeah. Soothing, uh, you know, being with the person, you know, companionship, that kind of thing. Yeah,
1: exactly. That's exactly it. Not
0: not, here's an argument and let me write on the chalkboard. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So whenever I tell my students, uh, whenever we go through this, I say, now, this is a philosophy course. And so um, I don't think philosophy is the best help for that, at least not initially. I think it can be later on, but at least not initially. And so we're going to look at this other broad category which I think of as a, as just a, a philosophical problem of evil. And and what you're doing there is you're um, trying to wrestle with um, the existence of God and the existence of evil in general. Um, yeah. There, there's a, a, there even that kind of question though has appeared in a couple of different ways. Um, and, and, from, I would say, um, Augustine until, I, I think this is Michael Murray makes this point. Um, I can't remember in which book, but from somewhere from Augustine to somewhere like about up to Leibniz, the way that people often thought about evil and God, it was more of like a puzzle. Like, okay, we know that there is a God. So given God's existence, how do we fit evil within it? Right. So uh, a parallel that you might think about it is, um, I remember when I was in a youth group uh, in in high school, you know, me and my buddies, we'd come back to the house or sitting in the backyard and we would start talking. And, you know, we'd often end up talking about how- This is Oklahoma? Yeah, back in Oklahoma days. uh, We'd say, you know, how, if if God has, um, if God is omniscient, if he knows all things, and how am I free? Like, you know, so we'd look at like free will. How does free will fit within God's omniscience? But it was never- a question of well given that i'm free maybe god doesn't exist it was more of a puzzle like we know that god exists and he has these attributes so how do we understand free will in light of that and from augustine to around Leibniz, that's often how people treated the existence of evil is we know that god exists so how do we understand evil within that understanding of god's existence and then like kind of probably most famously starting with hume it, it shifted. Instead of you know, given God, how can there be evil? It was more of, well, given evil, how could there even be a God at all? And so it kind of flipped the ordering of of the uh, of how how you approach it.
0: Do you think um, that ordering matters?
1: Uh, well, I do. I um, I, okay. but only in a limited sense because I I think even if you um, if you approach it in this second way, you know, given evil, how can there be a God? I think you can still answer the question. I don't, I don't think that the how you approach it. Um, it's, it's not as if you're the, the question is being begged against God's existence by asking it in that sort of way. And so I, I think you can actually deal with the problem. Um, but and you're talking um, about
0: strict logical possibility. Now you're talking about well, uh, you know, square circle, how right. they, they can't, well, possibly. Be together, so
1: within this or be so we the have same, this, I guess, <laughs> this sort of existential problem of evil, and then this philosophical problem of evil. Within that, there's two broad categories, and one is the logical problem of evil, and that's what you're asking there is God and evil.
0: Okay. You hadn't same, gone, you hadn't gone there yet. Right No, Yeah. 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 Okay, so that was gotcha,
1: that. The, that gotcha. what you're addressing. There is there are some people say, you know, look, uh, you have a square and you have a circle. If you have the one, you can't have the other, you know, it just, you know, the law of non-contradiction. Yeah. yeah. Um, is God and evil like that? Is it that right. kind of a problem? Um, where if you know that God exists, you also know there can be no evil and vice versa right that's sort of the logical problem of
0: evil Um, so the contradiction would be something like um the god once you figure out what that is 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 the kind of being that wouldn't allow evil yeah and yet we live in a world where um it does allow evil. So, yeah. Yeah. So there's a logical, uh, conflict there.
1: Yeah. And the idea God created is, the world. <laughs> yeah. The, the idea is that like, if, if a being is worthy of the title, God, it, like there's going to be something about, you know, being worthy of worship and, and what goes into what kind of a being is truly worthy of worship. Not like, mm-hmm. you know, oh, I worship that athlete or something like that, but like right. know, true genuine religious devotion. Yeah. A being that's worthy of that would someone be someone who would being really take a
0: knee for God.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, a being like that, it would be a being that is, you know, uh, loving and uh, powerful and knowledgeable. And you start to uh, you can sort of unpack in this con- concept of God, amid a, yeah, uh, these these traditional attributes that are that we uh, ascribe to God. You know, his yeah, his omniscience, and his omnipotence, and his omni benevolence. If you want to just stick with the, the omnis there, mm-hmm. um, but then as soon as you have that picture of God, the, the concern is well that kind of a God. So the way that uh, uh, this shows up in Hume's dialogues is, you know, like if basically if, if God is omnipotent, he would be able to get rid of evil. If he's omniscient, he would know how, and if he's omnibenevolent, he would want to, you know, so whence then evil, you know, where does, where does it come from then? Uh, And that's, that's the sort of the crux of the issue is that the attributes of God, when you have them all together, seem to give you uh, a way of trying to understand or, or a way of um of understanding these attributes results seemingly and there are not being there wouldn't be any evil but there is right. evil right <laughs> um right and so, so, so yeah so that's yeah. yeah yeah so so that's the the logical problem mm-hmm. the evidential problem would be the second broad category uh, under this philosophical c- category the the evidential problem is a little bit more limited. We can talk about why this is the case, but many, most people, I would say, think that the logical problem of evil has failed, that it's not, um, nobody has successfully established that God and evil are logically incompatible in that way. And, um, but there are are many who are more optimistic that the evidential problem of evil succeeds. And, And so what the evidential problem does is, is it says, look, the the uh, argument from the, uh, a person advocating this type of a problem would say, um, I'm not saying that they're logically incompatible. I'm just saying that it sure seems far less likely that there would be a God given that there's all of this evil, right? So that somehow or another, the presence of evil lowers our confidence or our, our, um, our, 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 the yeah it, it makes it less likely that god's god god exists and so um
0: less likely as opposed to most certainly not like the logical yeah, problem yeah, of evil means yeah. if there is evil that precludes god like yeah, like 100 so that's so it this is this it. is a this is saying eh, not 100 uh, yeah. percent. we can't quite say that that's overstating it but um probably there would be no god if there's the way that
1: many times it'll cash out is they'll say um we know that there is evil because we look around and we see it all over the place and we'd say evil's existence is more likely on naturalism right than it is on theism right so if there is evil
0: what's what's naturalism mean so, so naturalism
1: is this the thesis that uh, the the natural world is all that there is, uh, is all that that exists. Um, so there are no, uh, as one philosopher put it, there are no spooks. Uh, There's no <laughs> you wouldn't have souls or angels or divine entities. You have the natural realm, the natural world, um, and it operates in according to uh, the various laws of nature. Um, and um, no, but you no might god.
0: no yeah, super so no god
1: yeah no, supernatural. nothing supernatural yeah
0: okay um so when you say at, evil's more likely on naturalism than on theism you, that's a way of saying um the atheist is more likely to be correct than the the, the person yeah. that believes in god
1: yeah yeah because yeah when you look at evil so some some people will put it this way like um in a world that operates according to only naturalistic principles Um, the occurrence of evil would not be as surprising as it would be if it were created by a benevolent, omniscient, uh, uh, omnipotent God. Um, Like it's, it's, you find evil's existence given God far more surprising than given not God. Awesome. That, so the, the, there's, a, you know, the literature is immense on um, both of these different kinds of problems. But I think these are rough approximations of what's generally right. separating out the evidential versus the logical problems.
0: Hold on one sec.
1: And we're back. Sorry.
0: Okay. <laughs> That's so, all right. <clears throat> you were saying.
1: Yeah. So whenever we think about the the problem of evil and philosophically, we have these two broad categories categorizations that there's that logical problem and that, that evidential problem. Right. Um, I I think that a general consensus is that the logical problem of evil has failed Um, Mm -hmm. The it's such a, a bold claim. Like uh, it's really easy to think about why squares and circles aren't the same thing. And if you have, if you know, something's a square, you automatically know that it's not a circle. But it's not quite as easy to um, to to make such a, a claim about uh, God and evil, that there's that the concepts involved in God and in the term God and the term evil contradict each other in that sort of uh, logical way. So that's um, bad
0: for atheism, right? It's not bad yeah. for Christianity. Well, the lo- yeah, I, I'm, what I'm saying is the logical problem of failing. That's code for. They, the atheist lost that round
1: yeah it's not a successful argument against god's existence
0: and so far as okay gotcha yeah
1: so but that that what that i mean it doesn't mean that atheism is false it just no means no, no that no. argument for it fails right, right. so like uh, right if somebody shows there's a flaw in an argument for god's existence that doesn't mean right. that theism is false it just means that argument doesn't work um and i right. think that's kind of where we're at with
0: with the logical problem gotcha so yeah it's like maybe it's like uh creed and 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 rocky are fighting and you're not sure is it rocky right. one or is it rocky two <laughs> rocky one uh of course it looks like creed is uh winning and of course he does win right um right. uh so we're not saying that y- y- we can't tell quite who wins yet like which, right. is it yeah. rocky one or is it rocky yeah. two gotcha. yeah yeah okay that's it
1: um now with the evidential argument so uh, one of the things that i think is really helpful for for uh, a lot of my students that is that um whenever the the bolder your argument is the bolder your claim is um like you accomplish more if you can establish it but it's also easier to show that it's false because it's such a bold claim and so if you make a um uh, this is, uh, I can't remember which paper it's in, but my my advisor, uh, Linda Zagzebski, in, in one of her papers, I think she does this in several of them, actually, she'll say, here's an argument for some particular conclusion, uh, and the, ar- the the premises get us to that conclusion, but I could actually go back and weaken a premise, like this premise is stronger than it needs to be, and so she'll weaken the premise, and show she can still get to the conclusion, and so the weaker premise, if you can weaken the premises, um, and, but still get to the conclusion, that's actually a better argument overall, because it's hard Harder to defeat.
0: It's it's counter ever, it's counterintuitive uh, because yeah, when you say the word weaken, we think, oh, that makes the argument a worse argument because yeah, it's weaker. Yeah, yeah you know? it's but it's actually the, it's actually the argument is as strong as it is hard to respond to. That's
1: right. Right. That's right. Okay. Yeah. So there, I don't know if you've ever seen the show flight of the concords. Have you ever heard of this? It was on I've HBO. I've heard of it. Heard it's of it. like a yeah. comedy show. And, uh, one of their episodes, um, the, it's two musicians and they, 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 they start singing the song, uh, and the, 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 main part of the song set, it's singing to this girl. And he says, you're the most beautiful girl in the room.
0: And later he says
1: you're the most beautiful woman on the street, and then the other guy says, well, depending on the street. Right? And so, like if you if you tell someone you're the most beautiful woman in the world, well, it's that's gonna that's a great claim. Like, and I'm sure it yeah. makes it feel good, but it's easier to defeat it by finding any one person any in the world who's more beautiful than it's false. But if it's just the most beautiful woman on the street, uh, you know even depending on the street, right. uh, well, now that's it. It's it's a weaker claim, but mm-hmm. because it's weaker, it's harder to falsify. So as long as exactly. you can get to your conclusion of the weaker claim, yeah. then it's a better argument.
0: It's all uh, or nothing. If you say that this that's right. evil totally precludes God. Well, if there's, right. if there's actually any hole in that, then the, it totally fails because that's right. You're that's saying right.
1: 100%. Yeah. And, and that's what many people think that the free will defense has done is uh, the free will defense. And we don't need to get it all. The, so the you're, in the, you're
0: in that you're in the logical problem for your yeah. dissertation. Okay. Um, Y- yes.
1: With this, uh, a caveat, we can come back to a little bit later, but uh, okay. at least for this, um, the, the, when, what the free will defense says is that there, there might be goods that uh, are that emerge or that are able to be had because people have this libertarian understanding of free will. that They have libertarian freedom and that libertarian freedom allows for the obtaining of certain goods. Mm-hmm. Um, well, if that's even possible, If that, if that, what we said there, even if it's not like actually true, if it's even like conceptually possible to be true, then that means that if it were true, you would have a way of understanding how God and evil are could could coexist, could be yeah. could could be present together, um, and so it's the 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 free will defender is making is a really making a really weak claim. Whenever they say, "Look, I'm not saying we actually have this libertarian freedom. I'm just saying it's possible that we have libertarian freedom, and if we have this libertarian freedom, uh, and it, and it, uh, it's possible that it will allow for these certain goods, that's enough." To show that there is evil, uh, that evil and God could coexist. Right. Um, so, in this book here, uh, this is uh, an interesting book in that it's. Um, I'm, sh- actually... I'm sharing
0: your. I'm sharing a, a PDF of your book yeah. uh, for those yeah. watching, for those who are listening you'll have to go to the youtube version of that provided we don't get censored by youtube <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with our lead-in conversation they maybe they'll they'll censor us there um one of but... one of my videos got taken down because the oh, guy no. i can't say it say the word because i think it's a bot that picks up the oh. words but in 3 oh, okay. hours of conversation this is the producer of the shack he actually published the ter- the book the shack sold 22 million copies wow he just happened to share um his view on a uh, an electoral process that happened recently. He didn't say what year he didn't say what office mm. and he used a criminal term starts with F uh, usually used with banking and white Oh, stuff, Right. Right. And he used right. EF uh, and oh, use those okay. twice. And they took the video down. Wow. They said it was misinformation. I appealed a What couple- a shame couple weeks later they put it back up but it's just kind of a point it's just kind of a it's a hassle so you have this book it's called um explaining evil explaining evil four views what a great title i love that
1: yeah so Uh, this book is actually it's kind of funny this book is um one of the things i say in the introduction is that this is not a book on the problem of evil but it's oh, related literally. to the problem of evil. Oh. And so um, the way we've even been talking about the problem of evil so far is it sort of has this um, this feel to it where we say, all right, so we believe in God and then we look around and we see there is evil mm-hmm. and we say, well, that evil causes a problem for God's existence. How do you understand it? And that's fine. That's a fair enough question to ask. And I think it's worth, worth asking. That's why we've been talking about it. But what often gets missed is... Um, the atheist is never responsible. They never have to say, well, how do they explain evil on their view? On atheism, you still want to know why is there evil. And so what I've done in this book is the first two people you just saw on the screen there, Richard Davis, my colleague at Tyndale, and Paul Helm are both Christian philosophers. Um, uh, 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 Richard Davis is a, a libertarian. I, he and I share many of similar views on that. Um, and Paul Helm is a, uh, a compatibilist. Uh, you see, he's got books on Calvin. Um, and so he's working for more of a deterministic understanding of things. Um, but then, so they wrote two of their chapters. Basically, the, 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 the task was given your understanding of reality, how do you explain evil? And the last two authors, though, are actually prominent atheists. Um, Michael Roos and Eric yeah. Willenberg are both atheist philosophers And I wanted them to have an opportunity to say, well, look, I don't think there's a God, but how do I understand evil's existence given my atheism, right? Because many, um, I think many apologists um, and and a lot of Christian philosophers will argue that uh, they'll sort of thinking about what some people call a moral argument for God's existence, right? Like um, if there is no God, then you can't have make sense of evil at all. Right, because you sort of need some kind of a theism or a theistic understanding in order to under make make sense of terms like evil or, or right. morality in general. Well, um, both Ruse and Wheelenberg uh, they disagree with that. And so it's so, well, given yeah. that how given your understanding, how do you how do you so it was a really helpful um, process to go through it and to see um, for both Davis and Helm their chapter wasn't focused around, well, how do I respond to this problem? It was more of given it was actually their opportunity to address the problem in that first version that I talked about, given my understanding of God, how does evil fit within that picture, that sort of puzzle approach to thinking about the problem? Right, um, right, right. And, and what I have noticed is that in a lot of the literature about the problem of evil, what often happens is somebody says, you believe in the God of this sort. Here's a problem for evil. And then a theist says, well, here's how I can reconcile the problem. And then the atheist comes along and says, well, here's problems with your way of reconciling it. And then it's, well, here's problems with your problems with my way of reconciling it. And what gets missed is um, why we actually think there is evil. And so the idea with this book was to actually just stick with those explanations of why there is evil in general. And. To let uh, have an opportunity for the atheists to put their positive explanation of evil on the table and let it be open to critique from others, um, and so it was a really uh, a really enjoyable book, a really enjoyable process, and I, I certainly learned a lot, especially about um, the from Ruse and Wheelanberg on how they want to make uh, give an account for for evil given their their worldview. Um, yeah, but, what, but another thing that um, often comes up whenever we were sort of doing a taxonomy of evil, uh, and so we said, you know, there's the logical problem, and you worry about the free will defense. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the common critiques, uh, or common responses, was I say, well, that um, l- let's say that there that having free will does enable certain goods to be brought about, but it also allows for the possibility of there being evil somebody might say, okay, well, fine, but what about what 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 all, um, philosophers call the, all of this natural evil, right? So oftentimes in the debate, there's another set of distinctions. We've done a lot right, of distinct, right. distinctions. got to define here. evil. Um, yeah, so what is, what is evil? Argue, yeah, <laughs> well, what many philosophers have done, at least, sorry, well, let me say, change that. What many philosophers of religion have done has sort of just been to point at examples. And so uh, here's an atrocity or if that atrocity, if that was something that say um, uh, uh, there was a, a some act of genocide, right? So you have moral agents right. who are uh, engaged in, in you know, the, the, you know har- intentional harm uh, and death, destruction, that that sort of thing. They'd say, well, that's moral evil, but not all evils are like that. They would say, and they said some, like you think about whenever say the tsunami hit Japan, right? And there was a lot of loss of life, and they'd mm-hmm. say, well. There that you have the suffering that comes from natural causes. It wasn't, you know, a person didn't decide to start a a tsunami, right? It was a natural event. So they would call that a natural evil. Well, it's not super clear how the free will defense relates to natural evils. Right. Right. Now, one famous way of doing it is to say, "Begin again, because the free will defender is making a really minimal claim, they're just saying this is just has to, if if it's even possible, that's enough to show that the logical problem fails. Right. Because the logical problem is so strong, you can take even a really minimal claim like possibility could be enough to defeat it. And so what they've said is what what, uh, this is, this comes up in uh, Alvin Plantinga. He says,
0: well, it could be and you, that, what you're saying there just on that point about yeah. the weaker the claim, the easier it is to defend, uh, the harder it is to to defeat it. That's agreed on by everybody. Right. You're th- there is no disagreement about that whatsoever. So if you're yeah. having a hard time with that. It's it's yeah. um, it's just you're missing maybe a, maybe a logical piece or something about how logical yeah. arguments work.
1: None of the debates will come down to questions right. about that aspect, because right. it's just really right.
0: um, it's just I think
1: that's important. I think to about get this, out, like, which which claim would be harder to defend. Yeah. All cats are white or some cats are white right like <laughs> right. you you don't want to be stuck defending all cats are white that's a really strong bold claim that's super easy to defend
0: yeah
1: but if you're you're defending some cats are white well that's going to be actually much easier so if you're arguing that's a weaker
0: claim some that's the weaker are white claim weaker claim so it's yeah, actually so if stronger you, if, to if you defend. can get to
1: your conclusion
0: yeah
1: with some cats are white Use that one, right? <laughs> yeah, um, I gotcha. Right, you know. And so the the whenever you say that God and evil are logically incompatible, it's more in the all cats are white camp. It, yeah. it allows for it's no hard. exceptions. Yeah. Right there. There are no exceptions. There's A no high bar. And so if you can find one even possible counterexample,
0: yeah,
1: like just one little tiny thing that that shows, well, in this case, they could coexist. Well, but Genesis the three fails.
0: <laughs> Genesis, it's right like there at the very beginning of the Bible um yeah. whoever was writing genesis i don't know if they had the problem of evil in mind but yeah yeah but genesis 3 is right there god exists and look there's some no, evil right there and you know nobody thought that's a contradiction i i, I contradiction. often think
1: this is a point that is uh, um overlooked by by many in the discussion is that it's not like um christians have this re- received revelation and they read through it. And then when they're done, they then look around and get surprised by evil's existence.
0: No, not at all. Right. It's
1: like right there in the book. Like we're, it's we're right like, it's, it's
0: right up front. It,
1: yeah. Like right from the beginning, it's we're it's you know, we dealing French with it. From, that's right. That's right. Um, it's I, I kind of uh, it, it's interesting. So going back to remember saying like people might say, well, evil is surprising on theism, but it's not surprising on naturalism. Well, evil is not very surprising on Christian theism, yeah. uh, given that Christian theism is centered around a solution to evil. If
0: it <laughs> right, was, a log- yeah, if it was the logical contradiction, it, it, that would be it would be surprising that I didn't notice it when I was reading right. Genesis three. Uh, yeah,
1: <laughs> that's right. That's right. Um, so but, but going back to this, um, the natural and moral evil issues. Uh, i i I see why so if you say well maybe non-human agents are responsible for natural evils so maybe no no human person caused a tsunami but maybe there was a demon that caused it well that's possible like i don't think there's any logical something logically impossible about that and so in some sense you could extend that but i don't think that's going to be very convincing to very to many people um one of the things that emerged in my own mind in, as I was working on the the book explaining evil is that I'm actually now increasingly um, convinced that there is no natural evil, that it's been a mistake for philosophers of religion to talk about natural evil versus moral evil. Whenever I, I, I instead, so, what me? what made, what, what it is kind made of an this
0: equivocation a... the spelling is this the spelling yeah. is the same that's what makes it so tricky
1: yeah so do you know john keeks? like you're calling
0: you're calling something candy and it's not really candy it's spelled yeah. the same but it's like right, really right. like baked, baked potato or something
1: right are, are you familiar with the, the philosopher john keeks he, he's uh, got a spell the last name k-e-k-s so this is the hmm. book i'm thinking of I haven't Um, seen it, no. So I thought you are right because I I just recently learned that he does does work in political philosophy as well. And so he's got this, a case for conservatism and a case against liberalism. So I just got these recently. So I haven't read them yet. But do they have any pictures
0: um, in them? No, no,
1: no pictures. Um, Okay.
0: That's probably why I don't have them.
1: (laughs) So in this book, though, he he gives a definition of, so it's called the roots of evil. And he gives a definition of evil. And it's, I won't, take the time to read it to you, but it basically says, here are the necessary sufficient conditions for something being evil. It, uh, it causes significant harm. Uh, and the, 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 the person engaging in the action, uh, had a malevolent motivation and no justifying reason. Okay. So significant harm, malevolent mo- motivation, and no justifying reason. Uh, there's another philosopher who works on the, the topic of evil. Um, his name's Todd Calder and he's really great. And the way he, he, he has two main conditions um, causing significant harm with um, without a, or with uh, yeah without that, an excusable <laughs> intention. Okay. Right. So there's no like in justifying words, reason for it.
0: And in, in other words, conditions that are not met by, Exactly. A host of uh, firearms violations in Canada.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, well that too. Initially what I was, thought you, where I thought you were going was uh, those
0: are or, or, or California, or California, yeah. yeah.
1: Uh, Those conditions aren't met whenever you have a tornado sweeping through a neighborhood or a tsunami hitting.
0: That's where I was going. I had to stop at the firearms commentary first, and then I was going to the tornado.
1: (laughs) So it just occurred to me that as I was working on the introduction for that book, I I, I read a whole bunch of philosophers. Hold hold on one
0: sec. Keek says, significant harm. What were the other two? Malevolent
1: motivation.
0: Okay. No justifying reason. In other words, mens rea. And then no justification, yeah. Okay, got, gotcha. Okay, thanks. And I,
1: I kind of think, uh, so there have been people who've quibbled with his definition, and those it, are and
0: necessary conditions that he, he thinks those
1: think? are, those are, um, uh, necessarily and jointly sufficient. Okay, um, where so but if you think about, um, I'm not sure, well, I, uh, there's there's reasons you might quibble about that. Calder's definition is more succinct, he, he just says significant harm. Uh, no justification for it. Right. Uh, or, or an, he called, I think he says an inexcusable intent. So it's, it's, it's inexcusable intention, mm-hmm. but those don't occur whenever you look right. at the world around us at what has been called natural evils. And the reason I think this is important to, 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 to point out is Almost all philosophers that I'm aware of that who work on not philosophers of religion, but just philosophers who work on the concept evil, all of their definitions are of this sort. Like you know, they all they're all going right. to quibble with each other and fight it out and stuff like that. But they're of that kind, and yeah. I couldn't find any that would apply in any straightforward way to the to what has been called natural evils. Gotcha. And so, what it occurred to me is if we drop this category of natural evil, it's not that. Theists, that Christians won't have to give some reason or some account for how God could allow that kind of suffering. I'm not saying there is no natural evil, so we don't have to worry about it. I just, if we stop calling it evil, it might make it the case that we see more easily that our answers to that question will be different then what we've been trying to do is take solutions to moral evil and sort of shoehorn them into the problem of natural evil. Mm -hmm. But if there is no natural evil, if it's just say, I think in the book, I call it, I couldn't, I'm not, I don't have a very creative uh, brain for coming up with terms. So I think I just called it nature based suffering, right? Yeah. It's unfortunate
0: things that happen uh, that, that are usually attributed to uh, so-called natural events yeah acts of god actually they're <laughs> in the law yeah, they're that's oftentimes it. called acts of god yeah, that's, that's yeah the that's the ironic thing about that, that is interesting
1: question. yeah i hadn't <laughs> thought about that in a while um but if
0: if if we carve those uh, off, for insurance purposes say, i think they're called acts of god oftentimes in, in our heritage. yeah but sorry
1: yeah yeah, yeah especially yeah. if they're trying to avoid paying you
0: uh <laughs> <laughs> we don't yeah. cover you if it read, is a read read fine of print yeah yeah yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. 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 um but uh, but if if we carve that off and say those just aren't evil, then maybe we don't have to try to shoehorn, say, a free will defense into explaining right. those things.
0: That makes sense.
1: And then that makes a lot know, of sense just, to me, actually,
0: This is because, because there is equivocation yeah. there. It is equivocation.
1: Yeah. yeah. It, it and, and I really think um, so. Can I, I push back because, on that? Can I yeah, sure, to go be
0: ahead. The, let me pretend to be yeah. the atheist? OK, so if I I'm channeling my inner atheist here from, from the Adamic sin that I've inherited, <laughs> perhaps, I don't know, but uh, some kind of original sin. So um, I'm I'm the, now the inner atheist here is coming out. Um, what if I just said, well, Paul, you're kind of begging the question because you're just basically um, defining all evil in terms of just one type. Mm, yeah. And, and, you're you're just saying, well, of course, what well, that you just gave the definition of moral evil, yeah. that's what you did. Right. And right. then you say, Oh, voila, there's no natural yeah, evil. Yeah. Well, but that's just so it's begging the I, question. I,
1: I think what I would how I would respond is is I would say, um, if by my doing that you think I'm saying that nature-based suffering isn't a problem. Then I just haven't explained myself very well, like because what the atheist, a, a okay. smart atheist, would do is they would say, okay, well, God is omnipotent, omniscient, and holy good, and there are examples of suffering that is based on nature, you know, non-human agents-based suffering. So they would just revise the problem, and and I'm I'm actually I think that would be perfectly okay to do that. But what we would have now is a problem of evil that gets one kind of a solution, and then a problem of of suffering that results from natural occurrences that may need an entirely different kind of solution for. Mm. And what I see is a, is the problem is that we've been trying to take this solution to the the moral evil yeah. and apply it to this other category. And I right. don't think it fits so very well.
0: We're stuck with demons, which, yeah, I mean, if you're a Christian, they, yeah, we do believe they exist. I mean, yeah, you can't sure. Read the Gospels sure. without seeing Jesus respond right. to demons. But. So I just I think that
1: it's um, they're separate problems and maybe at, in places the solutions will overlap, but they may not overlap in places as well. And, and so it's sort of saying it's not that I'm saying this isn't a problem. I'm saying it's a different problem. Mm-hmm. And so don't expect my solution to the moral evil problem to automatically apply to the to the natural-based suffering yeah. um, problem. Okay. That's, that's that's the true. that's that kind of the direction I'm going. Now I have to, I this is part of some of the work that I'm hoping to, to still do, is to go through and think more about what a a solution to this kind of problem, the problem, suffering that results from natural causes. Like, what might that look like and 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 how much is there overlap between traditional solutions to the problem of evil or not? Uh, that's stuff, that's sort of things that I'm hoping to work on going forward. But at least initially, I think it can help us think more clearly about what it is that we really take to be the, the problem of, yeah. of evil um, and or the problem of. Like, so if you're, some people are really bothered by, you know, a massive earthquake resulting in lots and lots of loss of life. Yeah. Well, let's think about a a solution for that problem without having to shoehorn it into a a solution to a different problem.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And it would be, I I, I've always been, I, I I'm glad you're saying this because kind of, um, Makes me feel better about some thoughts I've had for a long time about. It is odd that we use the the same spelling two different ways, and they just yeah. they, they both happen to be objections to. It just seems like an odd coincidence there. Yeah. Um, now, to be fair, it, I think some... we're talking about two different words, actually. Yeah, yeah I, I yeah. think
1: now what some people will do is they will frame the whole issue as a problem of suffering, and they'll say, gotcha. "You could." be you could suffering could be caused by lots of different things, moral agents, non-moral agents, but the problem is really just a problem of suffering. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still think my point would unjustified
0: uh, would, suffering, would, right?
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, prima some of them fascia. think it's just prima any fa- suffering, but uh, prima um, facie. Okay. Yeah. Um, but like I still that. think even if you frame it that way, you might say, well, some suffering is caused by moral agents and here's how I would deal with that. Some suffering is caused by non-moral agents and here's how I would deal with that. Um, so I still think my approach would work, but yeah. I'm just trying to, you know, give a fair shake to those who, who think about it as in, in one, one sort of way.
0: Hmm. Well, uh, if, if someone was to come to this topic for the first time and just mm. start at the beginning, where would you suggest that they start? Um, like, like let's say that they didn't have a good philosophy professor in in college and they they're looking and they're, they're like, well, where do I go from here? How do I,
1: yeah. So um,
0: how do I get caught up?
1: Here is a book from Jeremy Evans called the problem of evil. Uh, And the subtitle is the challenge to essential Christian beliefs. I think this is a really good place to start. There's an even simpler book and I don't know if I have a copy here. It might be in my office. I'm just trying to see it so I could just show it to your uh, those watching on YouTube. But um, mm-hmm. it's by Norm Geisler. Uh,
0: okay. And
1: I think it's called Why Evil? I can't remember the exact name. The, the, the only caveat I make, it's a good book. It's a good general overview. Um, but uh, there is a formal logical fallacy uh in 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 uh one of the early chapters but don't let that uh dissuade the reader uh uh, he he kind of made a bit of a mistake there uh but uh but uh, it's 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 an editing
0: mistake or is it an author mistake
1: um i don't think it's that i i i just i I, i'm not sure what happened but um he it's funny as he phrases the problem and then a solution in a certain way that is um he trying to get get make sure i get it i think he uh affirms the consequent no he, i think he, he he i can't remember if he affirms the consequent or if he denies the antecedent but um
0: oh, those one are deductive of the, those are basic yeah, deductive those policies are, those are, that but what's funny is in his critical reasoning
1: from. book his he has a, a book on uh, critical reasoning and he actually uses almost the exact same wording in his critical reasoning book, as an example of a fallacy, <laughs> so it's like he knew it at one point. He just kind of got oh a yeah, little bit of course he loose. knows it. Yeah. Um,
0: you can't uh, get a PhD uh, in philosophy without yeah, that
1: yeah. Uh, so, but it's it's I mean it's a minor issue, and the book is very um, easy retired. introduction. It's 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 not simplistic, but it's um, it, it's it's a good it's a it's a good introduction. But um, this one is is really it's probably a little bit um, weightier, but uh, okay. but I, I I recommend that um, as well.
0: All right. Um, Can you mind if we ask you a few questions about your process, your writing process and your sure. just academic wise? Yeah. yeah. Do you, are you a morning person? Do you get up early?
1: Um. Ever since I've had kids? Yes. I've been definitely a morning person. <laughs> so, but, but not that, naturally. Yeah, but not. Well, I mean, it, it kind of come and go, but just now my mornings are, I've never, um, been one to write in the mornings like some guys hop up and they yep. get right at it yeah. especially with kids on the uh, in the in the view like you know you're, you have breakfasts to get and school lunches to pack and fighting to manage and all sorts of things
0: you what's know what's a typical uh, but, day look like for you what time do you get up and what do you have for breakfast and what kind of yes, you, know, do you have yes coffee?
1: 6:37 yeah get the coffee going pretty pretty early uh i will say thankfully my oldest is uh, now capable of cooking breakfast for himself and his brothers. so he can he'll do eggs and and toast for him and his brothers which is helpful uh but uh you know the kids are off to school you know 8:30 and then i'm i'm back uh, you know back in the office i i usually do most uh, drop offs in the morning cuz my wife has a a lot of meetings with her work
0: do you have um, breakfast in the morning you didn't mention breakfast
1: not usually not usually I no um no. i i did today just cuz i thought we I thought we might go over the lunch hour. And so I did have a, have some eggs and toast uh, uh, for breakfast today,
0: but, but you don't uh, normally I'll come. You just are not hungry or is it a diet thing?
1: Um, it's a little bit of both. I I'm, I'm often not super hungry and I, um, often will do some like, uh, it's called intermittent fasting. You know, you stop, okay. stop eating around right. seven o'clock at night. And then I try to go into lunch the next day. Um, so you're bragging
0: right now, like a Pharisee yeah. is what you're saying. Yeah. So yeah. That's you're bragging right. Yeah. How, how old yeah, are I, I
1: I always tell my <laughs> students that, uh, you know, if you're, if you're, um, if you're fasting to lose weight, I'm not sure you're actually like biblically <laughs> fasting. Like you're kind of supposed to be doing something else. You're just on a diet. Uh, you're not gotcha. actually fasting, but, um, but yeah, so t- I'm usually back, you know, ready to go around nine ish, uh, you know, where I'm either, um, in starting up classes or, or, you know, uh, doing emails or, or writing. And then usually it's the more meatier part of midday to mid afternoon is where I do more, um, stuff that requires a bit more serious thought. Um, you know, so I'll try to do an hour-ish or so of more m- mundane tasks of like email that sort of stuff.
0: You do that and before you do the heavy stuff.
1: Yeah, usually just to kind of triage. You know, okay. sometimes it's just checking to make sure there's nothing that's super pressing uh, or a deadline uh, that I forgot that I needed to send us, you know, a letter of reference off or something like that. Make sure okay. I haven't, uh, you know, Admin uh, skipped over any of that sort of stuff. And then, um, cool. you know, ten ten thirty ish is whenever I'll, I'll I'll start in on you know some either uh, reading, um, you know, um, or, or writing kind of depending on what, uh, what the day calls for, uh, a lot, you know, as you know, I'm sure you remember a lot of times sure. it's both, you know, reading for a bit and writing and then reading and then writing. Um, yeah. Uh,
0: and then, um, do you stay up late at all working at projects? If you have uh, a book, it, it,
1: it comes and goes. So, um, you know, for the, for this book project, there was, um, more of the staying up late. So usually, um, you know, every, I remember one of our professors, uh, Scott Ray, uh, before I went to start my PhD program, he said, you know, look, you have to remember your wife is going to a place that she doesn't know anyone And she's going to be working all day, and you're going to be working all day. And if you come home, and you're in the books all night, she's going to be miserable. And so Mm -hmm. he really encouraged me to try to structure my writing. And, you know, those is kind of an eight to five ish sort of a thing so that whenever she's off work, I could spend time with her. That's something I really tried to internalize. And it's something that for the most part has carried over. And so um the, the end of the day comes a little bit sooner because the kids come home from school and uh, that kind of interrupts your thinking and and things like that but uh so if I've got a, a major project I'm trying to finish usually you know four you know we'll be with the kids and then we'll go do dinner and then after dinner I'll you know or the kids are winding down ready for bed I'll hop in back in the office for you know another you know hour or two or something like that just just again kind of depending on the, but I really try to leave the the you know early evening dinner time with family, you know, we, it's whenever we are, you know, still are able to eat together as a family. I, I know as schedules get busier with, with sports and things like that, it gets harder and harder, but uh, we really try to take advantage of that as just as a, as a good family. Time. That's good. Um, That's good. Yeah. And then in, in most times um, I'm able to just spend the rest of the evening with my wife, but if there's, you know, if there's a pressing project or something like that, you know, then I'll, I'll pop in for that. But I, I really try not to make it a, an ongoing habit just because I, uh, you know, I want to spend appropriate time with her as well.
0: Christian schools are notorious for uh, underpaying faculty. Uh, are you guys able to make it up there? You get get enough money? Yeah. I it sounds mean, sounds like we kind are, of an expensive place to live. It, it is Toronto. a very
1: expensive place. Um, and so I, I live in a very modest house. Uh, like I said, you know, um, my, my three boys live together. They are all in one room. That's about 10 by 11 and three, three, three beds in a little tiny room, um, because I needed an, an office. Uh, so it's not a, an exorbitant house, uh, but my next door neighbor just listed his house, uh, for 1.25 million. Um, Jeez. and so that's why we are renters, uh, because, wow. uh, we just have not been able to, so the housing market here is much sort of closer to LA sort of thing. Yeah, oh, so, man. but you know, like, there's different different people are in. You know, we sort of just came here at the wrong time, you know, and so um, it was just never able to. Like the the market went kind of crazy, but Tindall, I, I, they, you know, it's a private school, so that doesn't get you know have public funding of any sort, and so you know, there's there's limits to what they're able to do. But I, right. I do feel like, uh, especially over the last several years, they've really done their best. You know, they're not. I, I think some schools use. They're being private as an excuse to underpay instead of like for some schools, it's just the reason. Like they just don't have right. the money and others like they could, but they use the, they use it as an excuse. And I feel like, um, especially, um, over the last several years that Tyndale has really, you'd be very fair to say there's that it's more of the reason, like it just, you know, there's limited funds, you know? And so, um, and it's, it's fair. Thankfully my wife, um, right. she works at a, um, a public school. Uh, it's, um, um, uh, it's, a what we would call a community college, like in the States Uh, here, that just, it's just a college system, but it's more vocational training. Uh, And so, you know, she, she's, um, I don't think there's a year in our marriage where I've made more money than my wife. Uh, I don't think that's I don't wow. think I've ever made more than her.
0: Okay, um, so together you're able to cobble together enough. Yeah,
1: yeah, it, it works. Um, Yeah, we're cool. we're able to do. But yeah, she's she's full time. She's um she's uh, you know re- doing really well in her. She's um, ever. It's funny. I always tease her like every time she starts at a new job at a new, new company, she's there for like six months or so. And then they create a new position for her to take, you know, cause like, Oh, she would be perfect to do this. That's a high compliment to her. More. So yeah. Yeah. So she's, awesome. she's been great. And that's, that's part of what makes being here, you know, her family's all in California. Mine's mm. in now they're all in Texas uh, or my immediate family. Um, you know, all, my, you far know, far all away, my
0: exes but- live in Texas. Every time I'm there, <laughs> I'm like, you live here.
1: <laughs> yeah yeah it's a good good song there should be a song uh, too yeah there's somebody should get on that uh, uh you know
0: i a... i would say there is one exception to the private school thing as Loyola marymount university in mm. los angeles who actually where uh, linda Zabzepsky yeah. was there for yeah. a while i wasn't i didn't yeah. overlap with her there but she's still yeah. has a nice uh
1: I think that was the early was, 90s i think or...
0: i met her there one time she oh, came huh. back and visited and uh she seemed like she's pleasant she's a christian right she's
1: yeah she's a catholic she, philosopher um she's still christian okay yes uh she i believe is oh yeah so
0: she's not a total uh, pagan
1: so this is her first book dilemma of freedom and foreknowledge and it came out when mm-hmm. she was uh so you at can loyola? See. yeah so that's kind yeah. of the 90s uh, yeah, style yeah. there uh so uh, associate professor at loyola yeah so she's mm-hmm. fantastic um yeah,
2: yeah.
1: um uh, she's actually, uh, so I'm the current, uh, president of the Canadian society of Christian philosophers. And so we have a conference coming up in a couple of weeks, uh, and, um, she's going to be our keynote speaker for it. Uh, oh, cool. really, really glad to have her. Uh,
0: she she still returns your emails then.
1: Yeah. Yeah, she does. She does. <laughs> she's she's quite kind that way. Huh? That's awesome. <laughs> she
0: seemed really nice when I met her. I, I, yeah. I think I said maybe two words to her or something oh, like okay. that. Like, hi, Linda.
1: Yeah, right. <laughs> but, so I I wrote the bulk of my dissertation from Toronto. Actually, I I, I oh, wow. finished uh, whenever I I got the job opportunity, and so she was very accommodating. My you know whenever mm-hmm. I would go back to visit my family in Oklahoma, she would basically just find a way to squeeze in some time to meet with me to talk about our, you know, I, I, you know, send her a chapter and we meet and meet and talk. And um, like, she was just absolutely fantastic how accommodating she was overseeing the process of somebody writing a dissertation from, from afar. Um, that's awesome. So she was, she was, she was great. Um, Yeah. Really, really great. That's person, awesome. Great advisor, amazing philosopher. Um, so yeah, good, good person all around.
0: She's well known. That's for sure. She's yeah, been certainly. Yeah. Well, Paul, we really, really appreciate you coming on and, and talking to, to us about what life is like in canada as an academic uh and uh it sounds sounds in many ways delightful uh also walking us through a bit of the problem of evil and yeah it's impressive how fast you're able to talk about it and how much <laughs> you seem to know fast. about it sorry no um, no it's it's yeah. it's obvious that you do this for a living it's obvious that you enjoy it and they're excited about it. It's infectious. And we appreciate all of the, the insight you've given us, including the helpful tips about how to get started. If yeah. uh, we're just now looking at this. Um, so we appreciate you coming on Dr. Well, Paul Franks. Yeah.
1: If, if anybody wants to to reach out, if they have questions, I'm happy sure. to, to do my best, best to, to we'll get. link um, your,
0: we'll link your setup there at the school and anything else yeah. you want us to link.
1: Yeah, that would be fine. And then um, okay. I'm on Twitter as well. W Paul is my Twitter handle. Um, I'm happy. I, I, I get a handful of questions um, on over Twitter every once in a while for people who have questions about uh, the last most recent one was about the problem with Google. So, you know, okay. it always depends on how many are Twitter. coming in and what my time looks like, but I'm happy to, to help out or Great. give more the more direction to, um, okay. you know, I just, I, there, I, it's a big question that people have a lot of questions about, but there are good yes. answers to these questions. And so I'm happy to do what I can to facilitate people becoming aware of some of those answers to these
0: tell us your twitter handle again it's at w paul that's
1: right w-p-a-u-l five letters
0: okay great that's it yeah okay thanks paul
1: all right yeah no problem take care